This is HPR episode 2578 entitled Linux LUG Cast 102 The Lost Episode. It is hosted by Honky Magoo and is about 233 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Linux Lugst episode 102 The Lost Episode. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Honky Magoo. So today what I have for you is episode 102 of the Linux Slugcast, which will probably here be known as the lost episode of the Linux Slugcast. So we are an open podcast slash slug that meets at the first and third Friday of every month, which um, sometimes leaves it open to basically anybody can join, which is exactly what we wanted. Um... And in the case of episode 102, it kind of, um, well, it wasn't bad. It was just uh, that we try to keep, you know, the language to kind of a minimum and try to save, we try to keep the uh, our episodes kind of safe for work. And this person came on and it uh, kind of turned into a little less than uh, safe for work language-wise. Um I think the content was still there, but I really didn't want to take the time and effort to kind of go through and censor it. Um, uh, to be fair, I probably should have let uh, the person know ahead of time that we try to keep things a little um, low-key language-wise, but I didn't, and I still think it was a good episode, but I do not want... Um, I do not think it should be published uh, on the regular podcast. Plus, I've, we're kind of going through a transition when it comes to the website and whatnot. So I still wanted to get episode 102 out to the community for people to listen to and also kind of um, try to bring some people back to the Linux Lugcast because uh, the big thing is, um, with the changing of the website, the uh, AUG feed has changed. The MP3 feed is still the same, but if people are subscribed to the AUG feed, uh, they're going to have to go to the website and resubscribe to the new AUG feed. Uh, I was able to get the MP3 migrated over to the new website, but the AUG did not. At least I haven't been able to get it yet, and I think I'm just going to commit to uh, using a new AUG feed. So, um, yeah, just be prepared that this is a uh, not necessarily safe for work episode. Um, but I still think it is uh, an interesting episode of a Linux Lugcast. And like I said, um, we're an open podcast lug, and we do invite anybody and everybody to join us every first and third Friday of the month because really... Uh, 
5150 Netminer and myself sometimes run out of things to talk about and it's nice to have fresh uh, blood around to talk about things. Anyways, I'm done rambling, so uh, without further ado, episode 102 of the Linux Lugcast. Yeah? Yeah? LLC Stream 1. Stream will be live in a few minutes. Minutes, huh? Still have text to talk turned on. Ah, I better look at that. I'm just really curious as what salary range they're looking at. You taking your kid with you if you go? Oh, you fucking know it. That's what the Rage Fest was about earlier. She was uh, back home telling people that I pretty much blocked her access to her kid and shit when she hasn't even tried contacting him since January 27th. Yeah. Uh, She don't want to go down that fucking road with me. I promise you that, bro. So how you liking the server? Liking what? The server. Oh, yeah, I yeah, I like it. It's pretty freaking badass. Uh, need to do... Need to get that Samba thing figured out. I think it'd make it a little bit easier for transferring some files, but it's working pretty slick. Yeah, I just end up using SCP anymore. I haven't set up a Samba in a while. I really didn't think it was that much work to mount a drive, but I suppose it is when... You're trying to mount a Linux drive in Windows. Well, Samba, if I remember correctly, originated from Windows. Right on. Speaking of Windows, did you listen to that uh, podcast I sent you the other day about Microsoft and Linux? Not yet, but I have been watching the news on that. That's kind of fucked up, to be honest with you. What was it? Well, they've been buying. Go ahead, Joe. I didn't say shit. No, he asked you what the article was. Um, I don't remember the name. I'll have to uh, look real quick. No, what was it about? Just pretty much how Microsoft is buying influence in uh, into Linux. Um, They've actually got themselves a, a seat on the board of the directors, so... It's kind of fucked up, you know. Of what, the kernel? What's that? Well, there's no, besides the, basically the only thing that would be considered Linux, I guess, would be the Linux kernel. So they uh, have a seat at the table of the of the kernel, which I'm not sure you can. I know they, they uh, they're contributors to the kernel, both financially and I think they contribute back with their Azure stuff. They I think they've uh, started uh, contributing back to the kernel. Yeah, they're they're platinum members, which uh, being a platinum uh, member allows you, I guess, access or a possible seat on the board. And that's what, and of course, that's what they got is a nice seat. I think they ended up having to pay a minimum of like five hundred thousand dollars just to get on the board. Right, but you know, it's still like there's not much it. The, it the Linux kernel, from my understanding, is just basically the thing that controls everything. So having this, having a seat at the board of that isn't like, 
I don't know. I, I don't think of it the same as if you had a seat at the table of Microsoft versus having a seat at the uh, at the table of uh, the Linux kernel. Little in the fact that, as far as I know, uh, everything still goes through Linux, and unless something happens to him, there's you know not anything really suspicious going to happen. Were people worried that uh, Microsoft being uh, platinum members of the Linux kernel was going to change the Linux kernel or change the way Linux is? Yeah, from what the sounds of it is, the guy was uh, just making a comment that, you know, by them being on the board, um, that uh, it gives them, I guess, a little extra uh, power and... Um, you know, can use it as manipulation. Um, and then they were saying, uh, something about, oh, what the hell was it? Give me just a minute. I'm trying to go back to it. And I seriously don't know if I like this push to talk. It keeps kicking me out of my app. What are you using, Plumble? Yeah, but I have this stupid thing set up on my phone for, uh, payments. And when you swipe from the bottom, it comes up. Well, every time I hit the push to talk, it like pops up this payment thing and kicks my Plumble off. So I think there are other settings in Plumble where you can um, map the push to talk to other buttons. I believe that's true. It's been a while since I've played around with the settings. I never wanted to actually do that. But I think you can map things like the uh, volume button to control that or other buttons. Haha, I figured it out. Did you find the, the section to be able to map uh, push to talk key? Yep, got it mapped to the volume down now. Nice. I was hoping to do it to the Bixby button, but it wouldn't accept it. Evening, that minor. Good evening. Goodness. Full house tonight. Yeah, I don't think 5150 is coming tonight. I think it might be uh, PenguinCon. Boylan begs me to come on and then sits there and has his audio off. What a dick. So, Joe, what do you do? I'm a field technician. I run my own company here in Iowa. What type of things? Actually, you, what type of things? You, sorry, go ahead. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I'm actually uh, in the middle of a, j- a job offer from this company out of California. They've been kind of begging me to come out there, so kind of mauling that one over and trying to work out uh, a good uh, a good pay rate. And what type of things uh, are they looking for you to do? Uh, they mainly do video conferencing, and I, uh, I've done, I've done a little bit of video conferencing, but mainly I just uh, do a little networking, break fix, uh, work on all oh these kiosks for the jails. I, I, I do all kinds of crap. And do you work with any Linux systems or uh, run any Linux desktops? Just learning uh, Linux a little bit. Uh, Joe actually helped set up a, a server I got. I actually scored pretty big. Um, I did a site decommission um, and scored a massively big server. Pretty pretty good size, at least. Now, what is it you're planning to do with the server? Right now, I am just pretty much uh, using it as a multimedia host or, uh, you know, a server, and then trying to learn, you know, Linux with it, learn, you know, uh, server admin with it, just kind of playing, I guess. I, I have this thing, I don't really want to, I, I mean, I wanted to sell it at first, but 
you know, the price of this thing new versus what I can sell it for. It's just like, man, am I ever going to own a server of this value again? Yeah. But the one thing with those is, I mean, is it like a big old rack, like blade server? Um, no, it's like a, uh, a desktop on steroids pretty much, but I believe you can actually mount this in a rack. Although boy, that'd be pretty strong rack to mount this thing. What are the specs on it? Oh, I know it's got, I believe 48 gigs of Ram. Um, it can have two CPUs and only one right now, and it's a six core with hyper threading. Um, it's a ProLiant ML350 Gen 9 server. Damn. Yeah, and it's got uh, eight, yeah, eight 900 gigabyte hard drives in it. You need to find something really, really, really cool to do with that. Because. I mean, you could use you can use a single board computer just for some regular, you know, uh, media server type things. But a giant ass honking machine like that, you you got to find some good 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 thing to do with that. Any suggestions? Offhand, no, because running it in the house. I mean, as as a learning machine for all sorts of heavy duty type things. I mean, I'm sure you could, you know. Spin up, uh, you know, do your regular lamp stacks and um, I don't know uh, other type of web server type stuff. No matter, you got a suggestion? Yes, I have a suggestion that he uh, look at uh, look at YouTube Moshix. That machine could run uh, a lot of emulators and and systems and network. Um, Anything from a vax on up. That could run a lot of emulators, virtual machines, on top of virtual machines, all at the same time, and not break a sweat. Electricity will probably be through the roof, but but the machine itself won't break a sweat. Yeah, he's got it set up for thin clients to connect to it. Spin off almost as many desktops as he wants. I'm sure. It's a fun little toy for free. Yeah, and you were talking about Samba earlier. The so the older version of Samba I was able to set up, and conf- the biggest pain in the butt about about Samba is setting up the configuration file because they want the configuration file to be um, very secure. So by default, everything on there is uh, very very secure. The uh, different permissions for different um, clients and stuff like that. So when I set up my Samba drive, I pretty much set it up as basically just wide open because the only person who's going to be accessing this uh, that that sama drive is me like nobody else in my house is probably ever gonna like touch that that sama drive until they're probably much older like my wife probably never will and my kids maybe when they're older um will figure out how to use it or you know i'll show them how to use it but I'm the only one using it and I don't want to sit there and struggle with permissions on things every time I want to try to access it. So I just set it as uh, full open permissions and I pretty much set that thing up. Uh, I, I tried setting up the old way. It didn't work. I had to fight to figure out exactly what the hell I did wrong. And then I finally got it working right and I pretty much just left it. So I don't remember how I did it. I can probably go onto the server. I have a little, um, I think it's B. Raspberry Pi B plus as my 
as my Samba server. Server it does um, right now. It's doing just Samba and MediaTomb, and that's it. And it works fine. But I could probably, I mean, I could probably go on there and try to figure out the uh, the config file if you want me to. No, I used to have the same idea about Samba, just leaving it wide open. Anybody could connect. And then, you know, my kids started getting older. I got a 14 and 15 year old. So I'm going to set access restrictions. Yeah. And if you want to go back, like, well, probably won't want to go back. But I, in our previous episodes, uh, I did an episode on Samba about how I actually got this thing set up and set it up as completely open. And I think I shared that config file. I don't know. I'd have to search. But I know. Um, K Wisher set his up with permissions for uh, his kids were uh, were still at home and they were older. They were like high school age, so he set up permissions for himself and his kids for accessing it. And it was all different uh, types of permission levels. And he had a decent uh, config file. Wonder how uh, how well that thing would work for mining coin. Well, some of the coins that um, you can't. Mine with um, graphics cards or the um, ASICs. It would probably do really well, the ones that require RAM and uh, processor. So it should do well with, I think, what Monero is set up that way. Not sure, but it'd be a fun little test. Well, I, I can probably set it up later for you and we can see. You might want to. Look around for that second uh, CPU if you're going to make it a CPU server. And if you set the settings really high for mining, you might as well just get used to having a jet engine in your living room. Oh, yeah. Blah. I'm not used to that at all. It's actually quite nice because it really really doesn't fire off very often um, unless, you know... I mean, with whatever OS it had on it before, it seemed like it fired off really hard with that. But, um, yeah, it just seems to be pretty quiet most of the time. I can definitely tell when, you know, something, uh, someone starts logging in on it or whatever. It'll speed up real quick, but then it just levels out, and it's pretty quiet. Which OS are you running on it? Ubuntu Server. Ubuntu Server made setting up X to go kind of fun. How is X2Go? I love X2Go. I use it almost every day. I mean, between my server, Joe's server, my main desktop, I have it set up on my laptop, but I don't think I've ever actually logged into it from there, or to there. A really great way to spin off another desktop. I mean, it's not like... um, what uh, desktop sharing or anything like that. So I can't see what anybody else is doing, but if I want to spin off a desktop of my own and act like I'm using my home computer or my server, then I can. Okay. So it's not really like a VNC. It's uh, logging in as like a separate client onto onto the machine. Yeah. It's kind of like thin, just having a thin client anytime you want, just spin off another desktop. Yeah, it sounds like a great thing to use on. I have a couple of machines that have lots of nice big screens, and then I have some that don't have that much screenage. And being able to use the big screen desktops as display machines while everything else is just handled by the server side 
Sounds like a win to me. Yeah. yeah, it's a great way to do it. It's also a great way to access the pies if I don't want to just use, well, it used to be. I've had trouble setting it up on the most recent ones, um, X to go. It, w it used to be a great way to access the Raspberry Pi and still have the graphical interface and not have to worry about SSH. I would like to find a nice Android version of it. There isn't one I've been looking for years. Well, there you go. Get to writing that program. The, the shame about the Raspberry Pi, because if anyone needs a remote desktop solution, it's the Pi. Right. Especially with the uh, Gen 3 Pluses uh, getting PoE support any day now. They still don't have that hat out yet? Well, I don't know. I've seen hats, but I don't know whether they're whether they're blessed or not. I don't know. I can't picture a, a single-board computer as anything besides, say, a small single-purpose server. Well, yeah. well, I work well, with yeah. them about every day on package lockers. What's a package locker? You'll see them in uh, these really fancy uh, apartment buildings. It's pretty much uh, it's, so the mailman will come there, drop a package into the locker they actually go on. They can request either a small, medium, or large locker. A door will pop open, you know, that doesn't have a package in it. Um, they deliver it into there, then the... Uh, the the renter gets a message either on their email or a text message that they have a package waiting for them and it's got a little code in there they go down to the locker they enter the code the locker pops open take their package and go on about their business you say you uh, set up uh you set up these before i set them up like probably weekly i'm either repairing them or installing them that's pretty cool Amazon is also using something like that in a lot of places. I mean, I got a 7-Eleven here who's got an Amazon uh, Dropbox arrangement like that. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those yet. I've done both uh, parcel pending and uh, Luxor lockers. Parcel pending's built a little different. I'm not sure what they use for a controller, but um, with, uh, with Luxor, it's a Raspberry Pi, and then they have a... Uh, kind of an adapter board on it to run each locker's electric lock. Dumbest thing, I think, with the Luxor ones, though, is that they use an iPad as their control interface. So what is what are the Raspberry Pis running? What is the what? What is the what? What are the Raspberry Pis running? In the lockers? Yeah. Um, I'm not really quite sure what they're running. Um... I don't really get into the, I don't really have to ever access the Pi programming. Um, I do most of it, uh, all of the settings we do from a app that's on the iPad. It's some, you know, proprietary app they have that controls the, uh, the Raspberry Pi. It pretty much just acts as like a, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Like a, uh, remote access for like they can track everything with that thing they can remotely uh, open the door watch a package being delivered picked up all that with the pie that's really cool it is but at the same time it's a pain in the ass job security for sure
It's funny. It's been they've came out with these new ones, is these Gen Gen fours. And actually, it's not funny. It actually really pisses me off. They they say that these things are what uh, uh, made in the USA, right? Well, sorry, that is totally bogus. They're not made in the U.S. Maybe assembled in the U.S., but to me, those are two completely different things. Um, and you can definitely tell the quality of the work. I mean, they're the doors are showing up so janky and stuff that it, like. I'm having troubles getting them lined up and um, the the whole thing using a raspberry pie to do it. I mean, yeah, while the pie is a great solution, there's, I think, a whole lot better solutions that would uh, clean things up quite a bit, especially with the whole using a uh, an iPad as your um, control screen or whatever. That's just it's stupid to me. Right. Cut costs by getting the pie and then use an iPad. Yeah, somebody wasn't thinking. I you know, and like they have a lot of problems with it. I in um you know, for one, you have to put that iPad in like single app mode. Well, sometimes single app mode likes to, you know, mess with the person too when it tends to when it does a reboot. Um it won't always go back into single app mode, which is kind of a problem um because you can't do shit if uh if it doesn't go back in because the only way to access the home button is to actually get into the locker itself and take out the screen and yada 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 so it's it's quite the pain in the butt so each individual locker is being uh controlled by an ipad so they let's say you have a bank of them like a bank of six lockers uh each bank holds or has like 15 locker doors each bank has a raspberry pi in it um to control those doors and then we run a network cable from the pi to um a router and then of course a power cable goes to them but then there's one main locker um that has the uh the ipad that ends up controlling all six banks the ipad works as the server right yep oh my god really <laughs> yeah and see so they use this you know proprietary app called uh just called luxor luxor something and it's um yeah pretty much you're just in there you uh, the only thing like admin you really do in there is you can set up the servers. <clears throat> um, you can, you know, manually open up each locker, stuff like that. But uh, other than that, like all the other control would be done um, remotely from from Luxor's servers. So if I was designing something like this, I'd almost have like. I don't know. See, I don't know if like an Arduino would be cheaper way to go or whether you'd have like an Arduino that was basically run by a Raspberry Pi or have a bunch of Raspberry Pis, have it run by another Raspberry Pi. I mean, I, I can understand the advantages of a um, not necessarily an iPad, but like a tablet because you have something that is whether your application is obviously this one is meant for like Apple, but I mean, if the, uh, the thing running everything is like, if you have it web-based or even SSH based or something like that, you have, 
you know, this the screen and the machine all in one little thing that you can attach to this to be able to control all of them. But I mean, to to have basically all of it run on, you know, the Raspberry Pi, the Raspberry Pi is just as the controllers and then uh, there's got to be a cheaper way. I mean, I, I don't know much about Arduinos, but they always seem to be like the lower end of things. I don't know. Has anyone else played with like Arduinos or I mean, chips? I mean, I, I figure like a, a chip computer is supposed to be what ten dollars. That's got to be able to do the exact same thing as as a Raspberry Pi in this situation, right? Yes, or a Pi Zero, which is five dollars. Right. I mean, it's, it what? seems like it's very basic stuff that the that the controller is doing. There's got to be a cheaper way to go. Raspberry Pi, my in my opinion, Raspberry Pi, like I said before, is 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 used more as like a single purpose server as opposed to other things, but that you could probably get cheaper that would be used better for like controller boards. Well, the question is, how much of that remote access stuff is handled by the? iPad and how much is handled by everything else. Maybe the Pi just controls the servos. And again, if that's all that they're doing, I'm wondering whether it's something like an Arduino, because that's that was the basic idea of Arduinos. They're pretty much just, you know, uh, controlling things like that. But I don't know, like, price-wise, right. where, where an Arduino would fit in that. That's why I'm thinking like a, like a, Pi, uh, like a Pi W or something like that would work. Now, it's probably been 10 years or so since I bought an Arduino, but they used to be about $15. I'm sure the price has come down, and they've made smaller and cheaper Arduinos. So, yeah, especially if you're buying them in bulk for something like that, you could get them insanely cheap, especially since all the Arduinos, if I remember right, the hardware is open source, and you can build it yourself out of cheap Chinese parts. And that would definitely make sense to do something like that and then have like a, a Raspberry Pi. Even have like the Raspberry Pi as like the server controlling all of the other things and then have something that it go back up to whatever the home office is. And then you can just kind of walk up and be able to lock it, log into whatever the home office is to be able to control all the other things or like have a bring something with you to be able to plug into the system i don't know there's there's got to be a better way but it seems to work well for them i guess well it works how well is questionable well it sounds like the only reason that they have uh the ipad in there is that in single application mode they can eat the process eat the processing power with whatever crappy code that they throw at the unit. Yeah, the iPad is like like it's it's literally the interface for both the 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 resident and the um the mail carrier uh to access and then of course I do very you know troubleshooting from there. I mean, I can fire off doors, things like that. Um I'm Pretty sure that's what they use to do their remote access to. But uh, at the same time, I'm not quite sure because, um, see, they also say that they have to have the Pi connected as well as the tablet. Uh, I, no, they just have to have the Pi connected. Yeah, so the Pi actually does the remote connection as well. So can you not, like, 
um, instead of accessing the iPad, if you uh, have your, if you are going to pick up your package, be able to log into this service and be able to connect directly into their servers, be able to say like punch in a code or say I am here type of a thing, and then have it open up, or do you have to access that iPad? You have to access the iPad. Um, there's a little on the screen. You just pretty much, you know, touch the start, and then uh, it'll ask you for a uh, a pickup or a drop off code. So I think somehow Apple has been able to sell themselves as being the durable machine for this type of purpose, and I'm not sure, you know, how. Or why, or <laughs> but they but they've been able to do it. They've been able to sell themselves as um, they've been able to sell themselves to businesses as the durable machine. As this is something that you could use for this interface. For it's like an all-in-one interface for this. You're not going to need anything else. Um, you know, so companies like I've seen vendors uh, who work in like um, do orders and stuff in. Uh, uh, Let's say a chip vendor, you know, the uh, Wise Potato Chips or something like that will go into different store, retail outlet stores and to order their stuff, they would use, a lot of times they'll have like an iPad or um, I know my mother is a sales rep for a, a company and they have, they've given her an iPad to be able to sit there and uh, put all of her purchase orders in. So somehow they've been able to, uh, Apple's been able to market themselves as being this durable machine for this type of a purpose. Well, it's the it's a variation of the old. Uh, nobody ever got fired by buying IBM. And it's an awful uh, overpriced solution. I mean, an iPad to literally log in to. Uh, I mean, it's it's pulling a remote data. I mean, it's it's talking to their servers simply to say. Yes, open this locker. No, you know, don't open this locker. Blah blah blah. It's pretty expensive um, solution for that. I think. I mean, you know, when you have the each individual um, Raspberry Pi in there, in each bank of lockers, and you add in that iPad um, in the main. I mean, that becomes quite expensive when it can be done super cheap. I mean, way cheaper than what they're doing and. Um, you know, I believe that, uh, um, parcel pending has kind of got it down. I'm not sure what they're using for controllers because literally like when they come, um, they're, uh, it looks like it's in a, a computer case, you know, like their main door, like it slides open and then there's this like computer case thing. All of the wires just plug into there. Um, we have no access to actually see the controller board ever. Um, unless, you know, there's something that fries inside and we have to replace it. And most of the time they just send out a whole new, uh, controller and you really never access the inside of it. So out of curiosity, in your opinion, what would you use besides the iPad? Well, the way, um, parcel pending does is they have a, just a touchscreen monitor. Um, and then it plugs into their little controller um, and it's running nothing but some basic, uh, um, you know, proprietary software. I mean, I don't think it has anything else loaded on it. 
but it boots to this one software. That's it. Like it's not even, you can usually tell when it's like, uh, um, something where it's like in single app mode or whatever, you'll usually see some sort of boot screen or whatever. And this literally like boots right up into this, uh, this application and that's it. So you're guessing that it's something like, I'm going to guess and say, well, uh, what type the um the the other service that doesn't use the iPad does uh what type of machine is that running so in my experience with a lot of these um smaller machines that are geared towards one thing excuse me um I find that some of them are running the um windows is it r c I forget what the hell it's called but the uh the the really cheap single purpose version of it. And then other ones, they've kind of given, they've uh, kind of gone away from that and actually gone into Linux-based systems because it's a lot easier to do it that way than having all the bloat of Windows just to be able to run one application. And you're right, that's that's probably like the best way to go is to find a decent touchscreen, the, the price of a decent touchscreen, and then just have something simple running in the background. Why even do that? Wouldn't it be better just to have the pie there as you know the smartest part of the machine and then have a phone app that connects to a server that sends a signal to the pie and then have the pie open stuff it is but that would require that all people have a phone app and i think right and, a specific phone application right which would then exclude those people who either don't have uh phones that ha- that can actually do applications or people who don't actually have like smartphones well you could also set it up to um accept text message codes as long as it's the proper code from the proper number that's actually a really good idea too yeah well some of us don't have phones that can do texting but that works under the same idea. Uh, so I've played with this a long time ago, and I don't remember which direction I can go with it. Um, I played around with the ability to send an email that would, uh, even so, you wouldn't be able, you wouldn't have anything that could send email in the lobby with you, would you? Unless you had like a smarter phone. Forget I said anything. Well, you could still do it even then, as long as you had a touchtone phone, a phone call, and a specific series of touches. Yeah, I've actually worked with building those interfaces. Uh, don't know if they're still available or how, how available they are. Yeah, I think having some sort of a touch interface for just people to be able to, uh, people who don't have phones to be able to do it. Just a very simple one. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even need to be that big of a screen. It would just be able to have like, Either you were sent like what a pin number, or you give your uh, your put in your name and a pin number. How do uh, how do people actually log into these things? Do they do their name and a pin number, or like their email address and a pin number, or just a pin number? All they get is a uh, just a pin number uh, sent to their email or their uh, their phone, and then they use just that number to get the get the package. And actually, what happens is when you you use it, uh, you log in with, like I said, you just enter this number and then um, it'll recognize it as a pickup number. It will snap a picture of your face and then uh, you'll click continue and then the box, uh, the uh, locker will open and you grab your package out. So really all you need is a keypad. 
Yeah, it doesn't really have to be a touchscreen. If you're just entering in like a, a four-digit number or even like freaking ten-digit number, it's still all you need is a keypad. Unless it's they add like uh, you know uh, al- uh, alphabet to it too, and then you just need a keyboard. Yeah, it's just uh, just numbers and uh, actually just having uh, a keypad would be better anyways because. Um, some of these things go outside, so weatherproofing touchscreens is probably not as easy as you think. Right. So you just need a keypad, and then maybe like a very small, uh, a very small screen, just to be able to uh, display what you're punching in. Because, as most people know, punching in a number sometimes, whether you feel like, oh, I just moved my finger over, or I hit accidentally hit two fingers uh, at the same time, I mean, two fingers, two buttons at the same time, it's nice to have something that actually shows what you're punching in. Agreed. All right, so just so everyone knows tonight, um, I have absolutely zero topics for tonight, and I'm finding that uh, just general conversation is, is probably the way that we're going to go. So I'm going to forego the whole reading of an intro and stuff like that and just keep going with what we're doing. Yes, the Linux Lugcast Unshow. So have you been enjoying Plex? Who is that talking to me? Yeah, Joe. Yeah, I have actually. Uh, I uh, I had him shut the cable off. Um, now I'm on the... On the mission of trying to find an IP phone service that will work with these Cisco phones. Mm. Have you done any searching on the various open source PBXs that are out there? And I'll tell you, they, they're not all that easy to set up. No, I haven't done any of that. I've found a couple of options. I mean, I'm, there's a ton of VOIP services out there and I really wish I'm trying to go through my work orders. I've been, I've set up one that was uh, in these pizza huts and like, it's super freaking easy. Like it comes with, um, it just comes with their little, you know, their, uh, their little box that connects to uh, their server. Um, and then you hook the phones right up to the switch uh, it's like the smoothest install ever, um, and uh, I can't think of the freaking name of it. I've been looking all over for them. The only VOIPs I see all want to give you this uh, this box that converts the data signal f- into uh, to an analog phone signal. I think Asterix. Yeah, is the I've mo- seen that. Sorry, Asterix. I think is the is the most popular uh, VOIP on uh, Linux, or open source for that matter. Right, open source, PBX. Right. You still have to pay for, what, the, the PBX part of it? Uh, no. Um, usually if you're using Asterix, you're uh, just paying for the one line and then, or the one number, and then using the Asterix to separate everything out inside the system. Part of things too, where people used what is Google Voice with asterisks, and were able to have their own number. Yeah, I've seen it where you could set that up in the past, but I've also Google likes to change things randomly, and it'll stop working, and then you have to find a new way to make it work. Right. 
So what is, is it the PBX that you pay for? What is it that the, I know you have to go out to a, another company to be able to get a phone number. And then after you get that phone number, then you can do, you can spread it out between like multiple numbers and stuff like that and set up your voicemails and everything. I don't know. I've, I've really, really, really like just kind of give it a quick look before, but never really actually spent the time to uh, dive into it. It's been a long time since I've done it. Um, but back in the day when you were using Asterix and uh, Google Voice, everything was free. So, but yeah, if you're just looking for one line at the house, I, I'd say just Google Voice. You don't have to worry about anything other than that. Old cell phones. I just want to be able to use these fancy freaking IP phones. Oh, oh, this is an intellectual endeavor. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I always consider getting uh, IP phones and using them as an in the, uh, intercom system around the house. I got about five of them here. And a uh, conference, IP conference phone. What is that? One of those uh, big old, basically it's a, it's a microphone slash speaker that's it's supposed to sit in the middle of a table? Yep, with the dial pad. Now, Joey, you said you played around with it before. Did you ever actually... Uh, Besides, with well, did you ever set up a, uh, a VoIP or SIP or PBX server? Me, no. Um, I've used a SIP server. Like I said, it's been a really long time, and I've set up Asterix, but it's been forever. What did you do with the Asterix stuff? You set it up. I, I just set it up to couple of call a couple of phones around my house. That was it. Well, I was first thinking about playing around with it. I, there is a uh, Raspberry Pi image called... Now nah, I'm going to have to look it up. But there's a Raspberry Pi image that basically has asterisks and like PBX already installed on it. So basically, all I have to do is burn it onto an SD card, put it in a Raspberry Pi, and that's pretty much all set up. And then you just have to configure it after that. But I didn't know what the hell to configure. I never really made it to the past, uh, the installing it and putting it, setting it up on the uh, network. And I didn't do any configuring after that. I installed a app. There's an, there's an Android app for, uh, I don't know if it's for, or a PBX. I think it's like for PBX. And, um, I, don't know, I had it installed. I tried playing around with trying to get it to connect it to the server. Didn't have much luck. Like I said, I didn't do too much deep diving into it and kind of gave up on it kind of quickly. What I wanted to do, like I said, um, was a was use like an old cell phone type of a deal for my idea of the um, uh, home intercom system. But I didn't. I don't know. I never. I never finished deep diving into that. Yeah, I vaguely remember. I had a, a Linux program that was a receiver for Asterix, so all my Linux computers could act as phone receivers. But I don't remember what it was called. Lin Phone, that's what it was. L I N Phone. You know, I think that was the name of the app that I, uh, the Android app I put on, too. So you said you're using that giant hunking server to uh, serve up. Um, uh, client machines. What type of desktops are you serving out to the client machines? There's no client machine set up yet. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm a client machine. So, I've used my Asus Transformer T100TA to spin off a desktop on a server. 
What type of desktops? They're Linux desktops. I mean, it's LXDE that um, we set up on there. So basically you put uh, Ubuntu, oh, the Ubuntu on there, and then you're just basically using it as a server as well? No, um, we took Ubuntu server and then installed the LXDE desktop and X2Go, and it does it all. You probably just could have probably put a Lubuntu on there and then installed X2Go on top of that. It's basically the same idea. Minus yeah. the pre-installed. Lubuntu probably has a bunch of applications that are pre-installed, like you'd get the uh, LibreOffice and GIMP and you know a, fi, uh, a web browser, file browser, and all that have crap too. And a graphical software manager. Right, right. Did it, does Lubuntu have a graphical software manager? It should. Is it using? Well, did uh, did Ubuntu give up on the uh, on their graphical software manager, or are they just using? Um, ah, dang! I can't remember the name of the one uh, that's pretty much in every. Synaptic. That's it, Synaptic. They, but they had the uh, Ubuntu software center beforehand, and I wondered whether they. I thought that was basically killed, and um, but a lot of people use Synaptic. I think. Uh... There's a lot of some kind of software center in Ubuntu or various flavors. And then people who want to go higher go to Synaptic. Yeah, so after last week's fiasco with, um, I'm guessing the whole uh, kernel panic issue I had was I hadn't updated Debian in a while. And then all of a sudden I updated it and it went through a couple of kernel updates maybe i don't know it, it did something where it just froze up on me on the uh, main machine that i use for uh podcasting recording actually this this rig is for usually the podcasting recording of the podcasts and uh i have handbrake on there so i do any of my um dvd ripping and stuff like that on this um yeah so i decided i wanted to go with something that was going to be long-term stable so i broke down and just put mint on it and i figure mint will mint usually doesn't update as often as a rolling release debian or a rolling release arch type system and it'll like it's basically from the best of my knowledge linux mint is basically just kind of does a major update anytime uh, Ubuntu does a uh, LTS update, so I think I'm pretty safe. But other than that, it just kind of does like uh, app, uh, you know, application updates and um, uh, what's it called, security updates. Yeah, the only time I have problems with uh, Mint and updating is whenever Nvidia comes out with a different update. Yeah, I don't think I have to wor- out worry about that with this machine. Uh, it's an ATI 64-bit. No, nothing NVIDIA, and I'm not really doing anything really crazy with it anyways. As long as I can get the image to the monitor and stuff, then I'm usually pretty good. Right, as long as you're using the non-proprietary drivers, it should be fine. Yeah. Download the XFCE version. I'm debating on whether I want to put uh, Enlightenment on this machine as well. I have heard that um, XFCE and X2Go play nice together. I can verify. 
I believe they work. Good. They work well together. Um, I mean, I've also used Mate with X2Go. And I haven't been able to get Cinnamon to work. But I, can un I understand that you can also use um, custom commands for any desktop. I was going to say, my, my understanding was Martin Wimpers was very uh, big on uh, X2Go. So uh, I'm pretty sure it worked really well with uh, Mate. Yeah, it works. Just um, with the less known desktops, you can't get the optimizations that you can with XFCE and Mate and LXDE. So what's considered a less, uh, less known uh, desktop? I don't know. I'd have to look them up. <laughs> Cinnamon, Bodhi. You know. oh, Bodhi's Enlightenment. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. <laughs> Tony, everything I hear about KDE Connect makes me really want to try KDE. You don't need KDE to use KDE Connect. Really? It works pretty well. Really. I'd run it in Linux Mint. Well, what, de uh, what desktop are you using with Mint? I'm using Cinnamon. Is it just basically like a QT-based application? or? Um, I'm not sure. It's been on... Well, I had it set up last year. But... Um, the the KDE Connect worked just fine, if I remember right, and it allowed me total control of my phone from my computer and let me get notifications on my computer whenever I got a notification on my phone, as long as it was on the same network. I'm gonna look to uh, have to look into seeing to trying to do that with uh, Enlightenment. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to put it on any desktop. That's awesome. By the way, anyone know uh, about the status of LXQT? I think it's still going. Have you tried out the KDE Plasma? I have not. Um, so, my opinion on KDE has always kind of been that KDE is a... In the past, it always seemed like a heavy desktop that just... It really just didn't feel like it needed to be a heavy desktop. You know, it, I always, I always equated it to, um, uh, what was the thing right before Windows Seven? XP Vista Vista Vista. That's right. I always equated it to Windows Vista. It basically had some uh, cool features. It looked kind of pretty, but it was way too freaking heavy. That's the way I always thought of uh, KDE. And so I always used. Um, you know, uh, like like gnome based things, and then I found uh, enlightenment, and I've always I've always just kind of put enlightenment on everything because enlightenment was I've always ever used like XFCE, LXDE, or enlightenment because they always seemed very, especially with me, enlightenment seemed like I can put I had a lot of control over the way the system is uh, set up and presented and stuff like that. And it was just very lightweight. While KDE seemed in the past to be very heavy, and it like it really didn't need to be, you know. To answer your question, though, no, I haven't used KDE in a long time, let alone KDE non neon or anything. Yeah, I understand what you're saying about KDE. It's just there are very few of the desktops that are, from what I understand, optimized for higher definition displays. That's true, but I'm running all old systems here, so I don't think I have any uh, higher definition displays. 
And to answer, answer your question, Netminer, it looks like uh, going on the LXQT website, they have LXQT 0.12.0 was released, or at least the blog post of the release was uh, Saturday the 21st of October 2017. So, yes, it still seems to be running. Well, I've got one machine that I'm going to uh, be replacing Pixel on, and... Uh, it may stay a single screen, so I don't need XFCC kind of flexibility. You were running uh, Pixel as your main desktop? I was trying it on an old 32 better. How was that? Okay, but uh, you ran aground a lot. It is a very minimal system, and trying to civilize it just didn't seem worth it for, for, for that machine. Gotcha. I mean, I can see why for just kids doing, you know, Scratch or what have you, it may be enough. But if you really know what you're doing, it, you run into, the, there's a lot of drag from those training wheels. So, Joe, are you running any single board computers? Me or the other Joe? Yes. Well, I do have a Raspberry Pi Zero W, but I thought I already talked about that on the show. Currently, it's set up running um, a jukebox program and hooked up to an old stereo. I think you did bring up the fact that you were having problems with that before, with the with the Bluetooth. Yeah, I haven't tried again to work on the Bluetooth pass-through on it. Um, the Bluetooth pass-through was working just fine when I had this all set up on a netbook, but um, evidently some of the bluesy updates that have gone into the Raspberry Pi has kind of bricked that functionality. Either that or the updates to the Pulse Audio or a, a mixture of the two. But it still works for anything that um, I either have on the USB stick hooked up to the Zero W or anything that I want to access from the Internet. I have it set up for um, access to my Google Play accounts. And my, um, well, archive.org. And the only other one that I wasn't able to get properly set up was um, Librasonic. I, I, I can't get it to access my Librasonic server correctly. I think it's a Blue Z thing, or I think if it's just the, uh, the, Bluetooth adapt, uh, the Bluetooth on the Pi W is just not up to snuff for what you're trying to do. No, because then I'd be able to get a connection. Well, it says that I'm connected to it. The problem, I think, is Pulse Audio, because it says that it's connecting to the ALSA mixer that's there, and it should be going out to my speakers, but then it just goes into idle mode, and I get no sound from my phone to that and i've turned off the idle timer so it should never go to idle but still no sound yeah that sounds a lot like me last week trying to uh, get one of these computers to work right with uh mumble which one which computer um at least two of them the uh the uh, I have a Sony Xperia Play that I have running Bode Linux on uh, that it seemed like the audio was just 
so freaking up and down and I couldn't get it to come out right. Uh, what was it? Uh, Netminer can attest to what, when he actually was able to hear me, I sounded like I was, what, underwater for a while, then I was too high, and then, like, at one point I was too low, and then I tried to put it on one of the, the, uh, my little Dell Latitude 2100, and that was just, um, like, I got, like, no sound whatsoever, no matter which program I use. I've used PAVU control to try to uh, change the volume through it. I try to use also mixer to adjust the uh, levels and things and I was having zero luck with that. So yeah, like I said, my, my main rig here, um, which was a uh, compact uh, desktop that was originally considered a, uh, I think it was like a Windows XP media machine way, way back in the day. Um, it, it it's kind of serves it's kind of served always as my main uh podcasting rig uh slash dvd rip, uh, ripping rig and it ran into the problems with the the kernel problems and then i couldn't get anything else work that's why last week i was on plumble okay so it's just the client side that you were having the issue with for mumble you mean yeah hmm my point being, I couldn't, but through both uh, PAVU control to try to uh, adjust pulse audio and also mixer, I was never able to get uh, like the Sony, um, the Sony laptop, the Sony VAIO. I wasn't able to get um, any of the levels adjusted right, and on the latitude, I wasn't able to get any of the uh, levels adjusted. I mean, like any sound out at all, at all, really. That sucks. It sure did. But the good thing is Plumble works really nice. Yeah, I'm using it right now. I think the other Joe is too. I've used by it a lot. Way, by the way, um, Ubuntu 18.04 uh, is supposed to have a new uh, Pulse Audio mixer slash interface of some kind. Cool. I uh, just wonder uh, if it's going to be backported or or available for for us that are running uh, older or non Ubuntu systems. Eventually, I'm sure somebody will put the legwork into it. From my understanding, most KDE desktops seem to have a. Uh, uh, apparently, there's a lot of there's like settings on top of settings on top of settings, so you can go to like six different places. Well, obviously not six different places. You go know, like three or uh, three different places just to uh, just to fix one problem. And I'm not sure if that's directed at all KDE desktops, uh, Kaboom 2, or KDE Neon. But that's what I've heard. And just because Ubuntu decided to forsake all their 32-bit systems, I'll never run a, a straight Ubuntu system ever again. That makes sense, too. I'm, I mean, there are so many 32-bit machines still out there. I, I, I found it kind of surprising when they gave that up. Right. Well, actually, it's not given up. What, an Ubuntu? It is not given up. Can you still download uh, uh, Ubuntu 18.04 on a 32-bit system? Yes. It's at the back of the bus. It's very much at the back of the bus. But it's not, uh, according to the YouTube thing that I just saw this week, uh, it has not been abandoned. I will do some Google Foo and see if I can get to the right page. So on Ubuntu site itself, um, 
if you go into the downloads and then go to alternate downloads, you go to 1804. It just shows the uh, 64-bit desktop and server. 1604 and 1404, both you can get uh, the 32-bit for both desktop and server, but uh, 1804, it's not showing. I put a link in the free node chat on KDE Connect for Ubuntu, but it looks like the PPA doesn't work anymore. This is interesting. They have, I went to the um, uh, official Ubuntu flavors and they have Ubuntu Kylan, which is, it's described as the Ubuntu Kylan project is tuned to the needs of the Chinese users, providing a thoughtful and elegant Chinese experience out of the box. Not sure what that means. You don't have to go to a website to get your information sold? <laughs> well, it's based on the Yuku desktop environment? UKUI desktop environment. Well, gentlemen, if you plow deep enough, you can get your Ubuntu flavors in 32-bit. Okay, I just finished setting up KDE Connect on Linux Mint. On cinnamon? Yes. Cool, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, 32 bit Ubuntu's or their flavors is definitely at the back of the bus, but it is available. Yeah, it definitely seems like the flavors will uh, have, still keeping around with the. Um, oh, what did I just do? Uh, still keeping the uh, the 32 bit alive, but uh, official Ubuntu is not. Yeah. Uh... The uh, thing that I saw on YouTube, which I don't remember, uh, uh, the link was at the bottom of the page, and it says a sometimes trustworthy link. That makes me feel good. That was Ubuntu's official wiki link. So it was on a wiki page, but I haven't been able to dig down to that page. Not that I'm going to use GNOME-based Ubuntu. Yes, I'm going to try um, having Zubuntu available as a dual boot on some of my machines. I forgot all the cool stuff that you could do with KDE Connect. You can use, it as, use your phone as a touchpad. That's cool. Will it work on a tablet? I guess it depends on what the tablet's running for an OS. How did you download it? Hmm? How did you get KDE Connect? Was it in the repos? Yeah, I um, in the Freenode chat, I did post a link to the site I used. That's right. I got that open up in front of me. <laughs> the first link I sent didn't work. The second one did. All right, so according to this, it's PPA. You do also have to install it on your phone. All right, that makes sense. Right, give me a second. I'll be right back. So I'm thinking of attending a lug. There's one coming up here in north in the North Dallas area on the 19th. See who else in the community is around here. All the people I work with use Linux in some form every day, but none of them use it at home. Hey, Joe. Yes, sir. You said that uh, you were thinking about setting up uh, Steam. Yeah, I thought about doing a Steam server, yeah. 
What games you playing on there? None as of yet, but I know a site that I can get Steam codes really, really cheap. You excited about Borderlands 3? Eh, I'm not a huge Borderlands fan. I mainly play Call of Duty. That's pretty much all I play, actually, is like FPS games like that. I really enjoy Borderlands 2, especially with some of the expansions like uh, Tiny Tina's. I unfortunately just don't seem to have the time to fucking game. I I play a couple games with my kid when uh, when we get home, but then it's you know just like maybe three or four rounds and then we're done. Give up sleep. Say what? Give up sleep. Fuck that! I did that too much as a young stupid punk kid. I don't. I like sleep too much now. Well, it sounds like he's given up a bit of sleep already. Yeah, I I have. I'm absolutely freaking exhausted. I'm actually still doing work, and it's 9.41 at night here. And that minor, are you East Coast? Yes, I'm in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So it's like 11 o'clock there almost. Yeah, we're both in Massachusetts. Now see... He doesn't sound like a uh, the typical Northeast coaster. That's because I'm a refugee from West Virginia and Maine. That explains it. And many points in between. One of my uncles what works a- for ComSat. I, uh, I just say that because I was just on a job with one of the package lockers the other day, and the GC is from Boston. And that dude came in, you know, with the biggest attitude ever. And I've dealt with a lot of Northeast Coast people. And I've learned real quick that they're the types that you just don't stand in front of. You don't slow them down because, holy Christ, do they come unglued. Yeah, well, I deal with the, an East Coast liberal twice a week. Uh, beat me up, Scotty. Most people in New England kind of scare me. I've lived here for almost 30 years now. Well, they have got their own automatic um, assault weapons ban and high-capacity magazine ban. Where's that at? Cali? Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, they randomly started, they randomly started banning weapons because they looked scary. Because they <laughs> may have a military purpose. Oh, yeah, the banned on assault weapons, the weapon that never existed. Well, the the thing about it is we have experts in the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms that are supposed to monitor that shit. Although uh, my uh, non-gun person declares them unfair, because they have too many bullets in the magazine, and they're too technical, too much technology there. It's not a fair fight with the hunting weapon. Funny, back in the day, one of the articles I can remember is somebody shooting crows with one of those things. Yes, shooting crows with a rifle, not a shotgun. Well, if you're ever in a fair fight, somebody made a technical error. (laughs) Yeah, there ain't no freaking fair in fight. Well, 
I um, now my friend is all well. The person I deal with is uh, is also vegetarian. <laughs> hey Joe, I remember when you dated a vegetarian. That worked out real well for her. Watched her go down like a sack of taters in the middle of the high school uh, uh, walkway. Heather? Was that her name, the redhead? Oh, dude, that was a long, long time ago. You're going to have to be more specific. Uh oh, oh Jenny, Jenny, the redhead. The redhead. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was about to say something, but I didn't know if there was other ears. No, I still talk to her on Facebook. I still remember your ride back to the airport. Yeah, I remember that one too. <laughs> I'm sure we all do. <laughs> what? I that was on my way back, was to, way back to Korea. I can remember the question she asked you that just made everybody crack up. No, can't remember. You must have uh, faked it a time or two because she was questioning it. Ah. Fun fucking times. Yep. But God, she was a dummy. (laughs) That's harsh, man. Real harsh. Well, truth hurts sometimes. Well, you know, after the Orlando incident, um, my logic got challenged to the point that I was uh, spent six months in PTSD. Orlando incident? Uh, the mass shooting in a gay club. Ah, yeah, okay. She wanted me to test my logic on how I could justify people having a legal gun, able to do that. I'm still waiting for the ban on white vans. Heck, after 9-11, they should be banning jet aircraft. Right. I just find it so comical how they're going after, you know, the assault rifle. I mean, you know, to me, it's the weapon that never existed. There is, in my eyes, there is no such thing as an assault rifle. Technically, by the definition of assault rifle, it would have to be fully automatic, which is already mostly illegal and extremely highly regulated. Even then, uh, an assault assault is is an action. It's a verb. So you really can't define the rifle as a verb. I mean, it doesn't assault anybody. Then... Can you define a sniper rifle as a sniper rifle? Well, technically, it's not really a sniper rifle. I mean, it's a long-distance rifle, a long-barreled rifle. Yeah, well, just like California has banned rifles using the 50 Browning cartridge. I mean, it really, the cartridge is more deadly... You know, than the rifle. I mean, you want to define anything as an assault. I mean, the the projectile coming at you, that's assaulting you. And that um, is actually, you know, the uh, uh, the the thing that they, they should regulate, maybe, if they're worried about um, anything, type of uh, ammunition that's being fired. If you have armor-piercing rounds out there, yeah, that might be something to worry about. Well, but what is armor? Um, Hell, even uh, the military is getting away with ballistic hollow points, which is 
shaving the Geneva Convention pretty close. Well, they shave that Geneva Convention all the time anyway, and I don't think that the U.S. actually signed the Geneva Convention. We just usually go along with it, such as the um, – in the military, you're not allowed to shoot anybody with the 50 caliber rifle, but you're allowed to shoot all the equipment that you want to. So if a person has a canteen on them, you're allowed to shoot that, but you're not allowed to shoot the person. Yeah, I just saw a video on on the Barrett uh, M82. It's not a sniper rifle. It's an anti-material rifle. And, and, yes. and the, the 50 cal, you don't actually have to hit your target. You just got to get close enough so that, you know, the air going around it cuts them in half. Well, actually, what was an interesting thing, after the ban of 50 cal in California, Barrett, um, uh, basically canceled any government uh, banned California government from buying their stuff and they made a new cartridge which is the 416 Barrett which is uh, which will run in the same actions you need a new barrel and it's uh, better ballistically out to 2500 yards is it a forty-nine caliber? It's a four sixteen forty-one caliber, and it does have um, pure sniping capability. Although I don't know anyone who's actually shot a snipe with it. When was the last time you went shooting, Joe? Oh, I think probably. Two years ago, went out to a buddy's farm and just did some uh, clay pigeon shooting. Nothing too exciting. I'm going to have to head up to Iowa again soon. Jeez, I'm trying to escape the place and you're trying to come here? Just just for a visit. They'd yeah, never pay me never pay me out Oh, hell no. No. No, not at all. And... Everybody, you know, keeps uh, trying to give me shit about wanting to go out to Cali, you know, like... Oh my god, so expensive out there, yada yada yada. Well, yeah, but right now, running my own show, you know, I'm pulling between, I don't know, 55 and 60 a year-ish, you know, and that's not working a 40-hour week at all, I mean, but I do a lot of my work um, is platform-based, which is kind of a joke anymore, like there's too many techs out there that are willing to do um the work for way cheaper than what they should be um and you know essentially the techs are the ones that drive the market price um but anyways you know so like i make you know about 60 right now but then i pay all my own insurance pay all my own gas i pay you know everything comes out of pocket um plus right now with uh rent here i mean it's a thousand bucks a month um, plus my internet and all that shit. So I'm at like 1200 bucks a month, you know? So for me to move out there for a two bedroom, it might cost me like three grand or so a month, but my income will go from 60 to like, I'm assuming around, you know, the, uh, the six, uh, six figure range. Um, and, uh, you know, I will have less expenses and overhead, um, than I do right now running my own shit. 
probably the biggest thing is healthcare. I mean, if like I, I I've been lucky over the years that I've gone from paying nothing for healthcare to just paying a very small amount, like like it's like twenty five bucks a week or something like that for a family plan in healthcare, and it's not a spectacular plan, but it's still relatively good. But I know, like, um, both of my parents have had to pay for their own. And you're talking about, like, I'm not sure what you're paying, but I know I know some people are paying, like, two grand a month for whatever plans that they're on. And it's that's just freaking miserable. Well, I'm actually well, on. I don't have to pay for mine right yet. I, well, to be technical, see, I was, before I started my business, I had... Uh, the state insurance for my son, which gave me the insurance. And then I started it and apparently they caught wind of it and they dropped my insurance. Well, I'm doing just Medigap and it's five fifty a quarter, something like that. Closing on 600. That's with Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. The insurance rates are just disgusting anymore. Absolutely disgusting. Right, I keep on saying that I work for a crappy job, and that the second they start screwing around with the healthcare again, then I've got I gotta go. Then it's it's just not worth sticking around anymore. Kind of hoping that this company that uh, you know I'm considering working with uh, has some pretty decent coverage. I mean, that's that's one thing. You know, I mean. I, I've thought about it real hard. I mean, I'm sure I'm not going to get the hourly rate that I charge right now. Um, but if <clears throat> I would accept, you know, uh, a little less hourly if they had, uh, you know, a good benefit package. Well, you still pay for your benefit package when it comes to health care. True that, true that. It's considerably less when you go through a business because they're getting discounts because of the number of people that they're bringing with them. I don't know. I'm still trying to decide on a, uh, I guess a bottom line figure, um, and kind of, uh, you know, a deal to get me out there. I mean, I, geez, for me to move out there is going to be several, several thousand dollars. I mean, shoot, better part of 10 G's. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, Moving truck will be five or six grand. It cost me uh, uh, twelve hundred bucks for a twenty-five footer from Iowa to Colorado. Um, so take that about two. Take that, yeah, about times two. So yeah, it probably cost about two thousand dollars, three thousand. And in which that case, I'd probably just go with one of them pod systems to where they drop off the little pod, you fill it up, trucker comes, picks it up, and drives it across the, the country and drops it off for you. It cost me five grand to go from El Paso to Allen. Yeah, well, you have a huge family and a bunch of shit. It's just me and my kid. Fair point. And, you know, if that's, if I end up doing that, you know, there's probably going to be a bunch of things that I downsize on. I mean, right now I've I got like, for instance, I got three TVs, two fifties and a uh, 32. Uh, there's just, you know, I, there's no need for that. You still got both of those 50 inches? Yeah. Yeah. I'm using the, uh, the 4k one right now. Um, 
most of the movies I've been downloading are uh, 4K. And to be honest, I really don't know if it's worth the extra um, the extra data space. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's super good quality, um, but you know, 1080p didn't seem too far off from 4K, at least not on this TV. Yeah, well, also, um, I don't know how old you guys are getting, but uh, just like super high definition stereo, sometimes it's awful easy to get more definition than you can actually use. Yeah, I agree. Um, fully agree. You know, and and, and also with uh, the high definition televisions, um, you know, you only see that up to a certain distance. Too, I mean, um, anything beyond a certain distance, you're not going to really notice the uh, the higher quality image. Hell, to be honest, I've almost thought about selling half my crap, and if I actually go out there, selling half of it, and uh, buying like an RV and going and doing uh, monthly rentals on. Uh, you know, campground space there, save a few bucks. But, geez, I looked at that, and some of them spots out there for monthly rates are like a 1000 bucks a month. I'm like, Jesus, that's just outrageous. Yeah, but you could still sell most of your stuff and then pick up new stuff, <clears throat> probably secondhand. Right. For sure, yeah. I mean, there's always certain things that, like, are really, you know don't want to get rid of uh i mean and to be honest like the server is one of them things but it's kind of also one of them things i'm like man it is like a super overkill am i really ever gonna use it all so just out of curiosity what are you what are you living in now what do you plan on moving into when you're over there because if you're going to like apartment living to a house or a house to apartment living i mean i'm i'm pretty sure you can probably downsize everything you have right now and like maybe sell it and then adjust to your new surroundings at the new place that you're moving into and then fit your uh bare necessities into like a u-haul and then just rent the u-haul from iowa to where you are in california yeah i actually live in uh, kind of a small place now it's it's sold as a two-bedroom but yeah that's not it's a one bedroom with an extra it's the the bedroom's extra long and it's got a a wall but it's an open wall i mean it's a complete pass through from one room to the other so um in my eyes not a two bedroom but that's what they rent it as and uh i plan on probably moving out there to either i don't know probably a two bedroom um you know and it just depends on uh Away or just go with a a one bedroom and you know get some sort of uh, you know uh, futon or whatever for the living room. I'll sleep on that and the kid can have the room. I mean, depending on how badly these people want you, I mean, maybe you could throw a little signing bonus in there and you know enough to for the first slash and deposit on uh, on a place and then enough to get like a, a couple essential furniture and then just bring. Some of the uh, the other stuff with you enough that'll fit into a uh, you know a U-Haul and just drive that bad Larry down to uh, wherever you're going. I mean, anything else that won't fit in the U-Haul, just try selling in the yard sale, Craigslist, whatever. And definitely check out and see if the company has a moving bonus. 
Right. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I mean, you've seen the emails, Joe. I mean, it sounds like they they want me bad enough that I think that I could work something out, hopefully. Yeah, but you really got to figure out where you're going before you start trying to set a salary. True that, true that. And, you know, like he said, uh, he's got to figure out some more, but... Um, I mean, the possibility is that it's open to my discretion. However, boy, I just, I don't know. If, if it's open, I would almost, like I said before, like to see myself going um, probably to the Bay Area where uh, the engineer that um, that they were talking about is uh, located. And, you know, train under that guy. He's, uh, he's quite the cool dude and um, quite knowledgeable, you know, and, He's the uh, he's the guy that wants me there, so um, I think it'd be an all right place. And it's always good to have somebody you know, right? Yeah, it, I mean, I don't like no know, know the guy, uh, but uh, um, I've worked with him uh, on this project here in town. Uh, they actually called me, uh, found my ad on Yelp, and. Uh, pretty much begged me to go out to this job because they're about to lose uh, a pretty decent client. I mean, small, uh, and I'm sure in their eyes, I mean, shit, they do like $500 million, I think, a year. But uh, this company was about to rip $30,000 worth of video conferencing equipment right out their walls. They had it for, shit, like a month, um, and it hadn't been operational well. I spent several days fighting with things. I mean, everywhere, everywhere, all the way from uh, Mediacom service, which is, you know, just, oh my God, it's a fucking joke, Um, to uh, the, it all came down to after we got the whole network set up fine, everything was good to go, but yet the video would just flicker in and out, well... I got down and started inspecting some of the HDMI cables and sure as shit, dude. Like the person that did all their low voltage pulling is an absolute moron. I don't get why people do this, but it's, it's common here to see uh, people pulling right straight into junction boxes from conduit. Um, While, you know, you could pull right into a junction. You really need have like a plastic fitting um, screwed into that junction box so you're not pulling and stripping the freaking cable against the um, the sharp knockouts of the junctions and that's exactly what happened they had pulled the HDMI through those junction boxes and stripped the cable and it was grounding out in the conduit yeah that's that uh, bevy of low cost techs you were talking about yeah, exactly, you know, and um, I, it's so stupid, too, because it's like, man, guys, you know, like, why would you even consider working for that rate? I mean, I know y'all have been in my, my shoes and probably in deeper situations. Is there any fucking way that you'd work for 20 bucks an hour, you know, doing that work? Hell no. I mean, it's not worth the stress. I'll go... You know, for uh, for fifteen bucks an hour, you can flip a burger. Now I hear, you know, why the hell would I 
do any sort of networking um, or low voltage cabling for 20. No way. But you'd really be surprised how many techs on these platforms, I mean, how many uh, of these guys will just do these jobs at like a stupid low rate, like very, very low. I mean, I had somebody try have me come in. They, they'll mark it as like, oh, this is a site survey, you know, real quick and easy. Well, yeah, okay. It's There's a point where, you know, I consider that just a basic site survey. Um, and then there's a point I'm like, dude, you're having me uh, fire up analysis software and stuff, checking, uh, you know, Wi-Fi signal strengths and essentially doing a Wi-Fi heat map for you. Uh, sorry, bud, I'm not going to do that for, you know, a $40 flat fee for an hour and a half, two hours. No way. Why do you charge so much for virus removal? Yeah, why are the people so cheap not to buy antivirus software? I literally, you won't believe how many businesses, and I'm talking like places that, you know, uh, y'all have been to, don't have any sort of uh, security. Or like I was talking to Joe the other day, like how many of these network rooms I walk into that are like 90 degrees in there, no ventilation, no air circulation, no AC, nothing. And then at the same time, everybody on the front end of the store is bitching and complaining how their uh, point of sales run slow all day long. Yeah, even the computers like their AC. Yeah, they definitely don't like to be at the uh, verge of heat stroke status all day, that's for sure. Hmm. Play Network Curio X5 player install. Oh, yeah? Oh, not a chance. Spencer Technologies. Many of y'all ever come across those fools. Don't ever do a job for them. What is Spencer Technologies? Kind of like a... It's pretty much a BPO group. They... They're like the, uh, they do kind of the same stuff I do, um, just, they have different clients, they go and do like, uh, one of the jobs I actually worked with them on was installing digital menu boards for McDonald's, and, uh, yeah, they sent a tech up from Chicago that, uh, was supposed to be the lead, um, the dude shows up late, he's twisted out of his mind, um, you know, just sitting there bitching the whole time how he's got to go to Minnesota, you know, and this can't take forever, blah, 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 right? Well, this is, like I said, this is uh, digital menu boards. These are nothing but flat screen freaking TVs with media players. And uh, there was five of them in a row. He literally got five brackets, not full sets, but five singular brackets installed in 10 hours. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, he, and you know, then he got pissed off at me because I was on the ground and he's up on the ladder and he, he installs a bracket upside down and starts flipping out. Oh, you're the ground guy. You should have caught it. And I was like, no, dude, you're the dumbass with it in your hand. You should have caught it. 40 some days to pay. Yeah, just horrible. 40 days to pay? Yeah, and. You know, I mean, so like a lot of uh, a lot of businesses will, will go on like net 30 terms, 
Um, that's kind of an old standard, but uh, you know, anything over that is ridiculous. And and even most nowadays tend to go net fifteen or less. Wow. See, here's another prime example of these uh, um, low low priced jobs that are way underpriced. Um, this company, I don't even know if they'll show me who it is. Onsite. Done a little bit of work for them, but uh, server and switch upgrade. Uh, looks like a full day project, so you're going to be there roughly uh, six to eight hours. Hundred and sixty bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, gentlemen, I think I'll say good night, and it's really been fascinating. I wish you the very best in your various endeavors. Have a good night. Have a good night, Netminer. See you, Netminer. Have you done any more with that uh, overly obnoxious-sized tablet? No, not yet. I got the, uh, well, I have a, a VESA mount for it, or I can mount it on a wall. I'm just trying to figure out where I should put it that the wife won't, you know, stab me for. What's an obnoxious, obnoxiously sized tablet? What is it, 22 inches? Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I guess it was supposed to be, um, what, for a doctor's office or something? Yeah, that's what they're used for, uh, digital wall posters, they call them. And I, it was already rooted. I guess it originally came from China. So I, I just um, reset it up so it had some soft buttons on it, and I could access just a regular um, Android interface on it instead of the point of sale system that was there. And it plays video pretty well. As long as it's not trying to stream, I, I don't know why it won't stream properly. Via Wi-Fi or hardline? Both. I, I tried both. Mm, that's a little odd. What are the specs on that? Do you know? Um, not off the top of my head. Um, but like I said, um, when it, it's got USB ports on it, so I moved a couple of movies of varying quality onto a USB stick and slid it in there and they all play great. So I'm thinking I'm thinking that instead of uh, streaming to it, what I can do is set up something like BT sync on it. Although I am worried about heat issues and just um, <clears throat> over the network, put the whole movie on and have it go straight to one of the USB sticks that I have hooked up to it and just wait for the movie to get there and then play it. There's gotta be a fix for that. I don't know why it would stream slow unless it was like a really shitty network card. Possibly. Uh, have you ever done a speed test on it to see what kind of speed you're getting? Well, I can still get 20 or 30, which Another thing I don't understand, 20 or 30 Mbps. So it should be more than enough to do any quality of movie, but it's not. Hmm. It's got to be some kind of processing issue. Yeah, I'm sure they're not built to be processing beasts. Again, that's another thing that I almost think is um, probably a little overpriced for what it does. That's not a bad. That's not a bad. 
Sorry, I was going to say that that's not a bad idea, but with uh, like a BT sync or a sync thing, and just set up a folder, and then just if you want to play a movie, just send it to the uh, the syncing th- uh, folder. Yeah, get it all done in advance, and then I don't have to worry about streaming. But I know, well, I might have to limit the speed for BT sync. I know I can do that too, and maybe that would keep it from heating up too quickly because my phone, I. I I use BT Sync on it all the time to bring audiobooks over and stuff like that, and it will just get incredibly hot and burn through the battery. But hey, maybe it's because, you know, it'll be charging at the same time that it gets so hot, and this thing doesn't have a battery, so that shouldn't be an issue. Which would be an awesome addition to that thing, although it's kind of excessively large to be a laptop tablet yeah you put a battery in that thing and it's just gonna weigh way too much i think it'd be a seriously cool uh home automation controller wall-mounted home automation controller yeah but finding or creating the um api in android for something like that i know it's got the usb ports there but uh it would be too difficult there is a program. What the hell is it called? There's one that's made to go on it. And shit, let me let me look. It's open. Uh, give me. A second. Can you control an Arduino from an Android over USB? Depending. I think um, there's Node Red might be able to do it, and. What is the other one that um, I think Flying Rich kept talking about is uh, If This Then That, that might. And I don't know enough about If This Then That to be able to uh, say anything about that. Googling it comes up with the instructions like right away. Hmm. Well, if nothing else, you could uh, just use a front end or a Raspberry Pi. Open Hab. Uh, you probably would have, I think that has to be on... Uh, Linux, but OpenHab is the uh, the home automation software I was talking about, and you can load that right on that tablet. Isn't there a program called Home Automation Assistant that should be able to do it? Huh. I'll have to take a look. Yeah, the wife wants me to buy another Echo and another um, connected wall plug. I got an Echo here that I don't even use, an Echo Dot. Yeah, that's what she was going to have me look at. I mean, I ain't going to argue with you if you're going to send it to me, Joe. It's possible. I don't ever use that stupid thing. Like, I don't know. It's not something that uh, I really care too much about. It's become a lot more useful. That was about it. Yeah, it's become a lot more useful since I got uh, Prime, you know, just for playing music around the house. For sure, and yeah, it's it's nice for that. It's nice. I like its uh, alarm options. I mean, uh, it's kind of handy if you if you're one of them people that are lazy and like you know you leave your phone plugged in on the desk or something. You know, you don't want to use it for an alarm, so you just speak out loud for it to set up the alarm for you. It keeps drunk people and kids occupied all day while asking it stupid ass questions. Yeah, I would definitely look into Node Red though for working with the uh uh home automation type stuff. 
It says it, it works with like Raspberry Pi, BeagleBone Black, interacting with Arduino and Android. So I'm thinking it might do what you wanted it to do. I'm not completely sure what I want it to do yet. It seems like something like that. I would probably try to figure out something to put in like the kitchen area as like a uh, uh, calendar plus like shopping list type thing. I don't know. I can, I, I'm not sure. If, and then add any other type of functionality. Like if you have um, uh, home automation type stuff, like the uh, um, lights and whatnot, then maybe add that into it as well. But try to have something like that. Like maybe I have whiteboards like my head, but I don't, I'm not even sure if like whiteboard would be a, a viable thing. You know, just something like that for the for the house, as opposed to something like uh, another TV with the to, to stream uh, movies to. There's got to be like regular TVs or you know Roku boxes or you know the uh, Fire Sticks or something, or even just regular Raspberry Pis with the uh, with Cody installed on it. That would probably do that better than uh, having a 23 inch touchscreen Android television for. True. No, because I was thinking about um, I'm getting up a, a new soldering station once I get my garage readjusted this weekend, and having that just set up on the wall and able to pull out, and then if I need to know how to do something while I'm doing it, I could bring up YouTube or something like that. But I I would like to find something a bit more useful for it. Bathroom porn TV. I thought that was a phone. Who wants a 7-inch screen when you could have a 22-inch screen? Why would I look at porn in my bathroom when I have a perfectly serviceable garage with two large TVs as computer monitors? Hey, a guy's shitting time is also a time to be looking at porn. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just what happens. That's a horrible time for that. What's that? I said, that's a horrible time for that. <laughs> I concur. I concur. Well, it always seems like every time I'm taking this shit, I get all these, like, uh, for- you know, you've seen them, Joe, the forwards that I said. Yeah, I ruin other people's days because people got to send me all them dirty ass shit. So I- and I always seem to check it when I'm in the bathroom because I've learned not to check my Facebook messages at work. Um, I've opened a few of those uh, at the wrong time. Yeah, um, I took Facebook off of my phone because of crap like that. I put Metal on there, um, which is a Facebook replacement. One, because it's a lot better on battery, and two, because I don't really get the notifications of stuff changing on Facebook, so I never look at it. Oh, you're going to have to tell me about this, Metal. Well, it's like Facebook Lite. You know, I, I still can get the notifications if I want to. It's just they're a lot less abrasive. And, you know, the Facebook app itself is designed to send you messages as much as possible to get you looking at it as much as possible. And Metal doesn't do that. And the battery usage is a lot better. And it's just an app in the Play Store called Metal. All right, I'm going to have to look into that because... Look, I, the only time I use Facebook is basically so I can kind of keep in touch with some of my family. And basically it's just not, I mean, I, I don't ever like, I don't think I've ever like 
um, liked something or um, responded to anything or made a comment to anything or put a little smiley face or whatever the hell they have for it for anything. But at the same time, I just kind of just quickly scroll through and see like what uh, my family has been posting. And I am in two Facebook uh, groups that I've found to be one is very handy. One I'm hoping later on will probably be handy. One is a, I own a 3D printer, the uh, Tronxy X1, and the Tronxy um, Facebook group seems to be pretty good. If you have any, they're a really nice group. So if you have any questions or anything, you can post it to that, uh, to their page. And there are like three or four people who will respond like right away and will try it, do their best to try to help you out with trying to get uh, things fixed and running and stuff. Uh, the other one I just joined a little while ago is the Pebble, uh, Facebook page. Pebble was, uh, sold to, well, the people running Pebble, were, Pebble was bought out by Fitbit, but the product, the uh, the devices are still out there and they still run. And I bought a Pebble Two S uh, SE a while ago, and it's it's really freaking handy. And I really like the fact that every once in a while, uh, you know, if I get a text message from my wife, I can just look down at my watch as opposed to pulling the phone out of my pocket and just do, uh, you know, it, it's got the uh, canned messages. Where, you know, I can say, okay, yes, no, maybe, yep, or whatever. And I can just get a quick response back to her about something that, uh, you know, because she likes to get responses back as opposed to not responding at all. And then she gets all pissed at me. But, um, you know, give a quick response back that way. I can get my messages right away. If I get an email, I can just kind of see that it's the what, what's come in. I, you know, you can't respond to the email right away, but you know, I can just see what's come in right away. It's nice. I've, I've kind of come to enjoy that, and it's 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 nice that there's still a community out there um, looking to keep these devices up and going and. But it, it'll be nice to have something that's a little less embraced because I think that the uh, the Facebook app is way too big, way too heavy. It is the Windows Vista of Android applications. It's too heavy that it doesn't need to be that heavy. It doesn't need to be that abrasive. It's not that abrasive. Like anytime I like, only notifications I ever really get is if my wife uh, links me into into uh, something, and then I get like the little number next to it. But it's. I, if it can, if the application itself could be less, that would be freaking fantastic. I actually, yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely, definitely. is definitely not as pretty the regular book app, but it's much less abrasive, less battery. I've actually considered just going ahead and disabling my. Uh, my personal Facebook and starting one strictly to join, like, you know, the, the, the groups that you're talking about, like those types of groups are probably the only reasons that I actually do not want to get rid of Facebook. I mean, yeah, it's nice to be able to stick and, you know, stay in touch with family and stuff like that. But, you know, that to me is also what cell phones are for, you know? Um, but, uh, I just hate the, the, the privacy issues with Facebook. I mean, the fact that you have facial recognition on there is just fucking bogus to me. And then on top of that, you know, you talk about having the Facebook on your phone, you know, um, uh, 
you say it's abrasive. That shit's invasive. I mean, um, I know there's been several times that uh, uh, I've you know been talking about something, and it's not just with Facebook. It's Google, everything. I mean, smartphones nowadays. I swear to God, these things listen to you more than what you really uh, know about, and uh, more than what you're giving it permission to. Um, there's been tons of times where I've you know. Uh, been talking with somebody about a product or something, and then you will literally type in one single letter, and all of a sudden a whole phrase will come out uh, related to what you were just talking about. I mean, the chances of that happening out of randomness, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, what's what's the old adage? If um, if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. Something along those lines. So basically, if if you're not paying for something, then more than likely you're the one whose your your data, your information is how they're making their money. And that's exactly it. That's exactly how they make their money. And old Zuckerberg even said, you know, uh, well, he danced around the answer um, when he was questioned about it because it was mentioned that if we want to block some of these. Uh, um, some of our information from being shared and want a more secure Facebook, like the user itself wants this, then there's a possibility that they're going to end up having to pay to use Facebook and not be served ads and everything and not have their data sold. Like, really? I mean, in order for us to have our shit secure, we're going to have to pay you a premium? Like, what the hell? Well, that's the thing. It's It's a service, and they're making their money off of you. So uh, unless unless you know if if they can't make their money off of you anymore, they got to make money somehow. So, but you had to you have to know when you're going into anything with either Google or Facebook that basically any information that you give them, they're selling off as fast as possible. You know, no doubt about it. I mean, and you know they're not the only company that pulls crooked things like that. I mean. Um, GoDaddy, GoDaddy, uh, uh, a lot of people that, uh, buy domains, um, there's a lot of people that go to GoDaddy. Well, <clears throat> when you're searching for a domain, uh, to see if it's available, GoDaddy is actually one of the worst places for you to go because there's been, um, you know, uh, uh, times where GoDaddy has like this domain will be available, but GoDaddy will actually suck that domain up and then resell that thing as like a premium domain. So while it was available to you, you know, five minutes ago, you left that page, you went on to do something else, you come back and all of a sudden that's, you know, not there. Yes, it's possible that somebody else bought it, but there's been proof that, uh, that GoDaddy has essentially, you know, grabbed that up and, uh, um, recognize that as what they would consider a premium domain, um, and then uh, they stick a premium price. It goes from literally like uh, what is it like fourteen ninety nine for a normal price domain, um, and it can be as high as you know twenty thousand or more for a domain name. Um, and they use you know certain uh, certain ways to look at a domain to, to uh, see if it's uh, up or not, but. Um, yeah, they've they've been known to suck up domains on people. So uh, there's actually other 
you know, tons of different registrars that you can go to and different search engines and people recommend using those versus uh versus GoDaddy. Well if they're charging fourteen ninety nine what like a year, I might be switching over to GoDaddy. I'm spending I'm paying like thirty bucks a month for on uh register dot com for uh the linuxlogcast.com dot com uh uh domain and that's you know it's I actually made the mistake a while ago, but their interface is freaking horrible when it comes to paying their um, their yearly fee. Because it's thirty, it's like thirty bucks a year. So what I did one time was it was last year, I paid the thirty dollars, and I still had like the email, like they sent me another email saying like your domain's about ready to expire. So I'm like, all right what the hell is going on here? I went in there again and it wound up going through the whole system, the, the whole thing again. And it basically said like, you're, you haven't paid the, the, the $30, the $30 for the year yet. Cause their uh, system hasn't up. It didn't update yet. So I went in, paid the $30 again, went through all of it. And I basically said, did that again, like the next day or like a little while later. And so I wound up paying for three years, paying $90 for three years basically all in one shot but you know what i'm okay with having a uh, domain for three years that's fine not a big deal but it's just really crappy that the fact that it took them so freaking long to update their information to actually say that i actually paid it the the fact that it pretty much made me freaking uh pay it for uh, three years yeah that's a little messed up i've uh Never had that happen. I usually buy most, yeah, most of my stuff through GoDaddy. I mean, in hosting, I usually go through like HostGator. I have a feeling I'm gonna have to switch my my hosting soon. So I was wondering whether you know if anybody had any ideas about hosting. I am open to ideas. Uh, the biggest thing I've seen so far is just through like DigitalOcean. There's so many. It's the what, the five dollar a month uh, hosting, and then. Like, you could probably, there's always, everybody has freaking codes for, like, uh, $10, so, you know, your first two months are free, so, that's, I've been, I've been thinking about going to DigitalOcean for, uh, for the hosting for Linux Slugcast. I've never used them. I've always just, uh, I guess, been partial to HostGator. I've used a couple other of the cheaper ones, and they're, uh... Their server uptime kind of sucked, so I guess that's just mainly what I look for is what their server uptime percentage is and, uh, you know, what you're going to do with it. Do you need to, are you just going to host uh, a WordPress site? I mean, are you hosting e-com, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you know, certain hosting platforms work better for others. I guess, you know, not necessarily work better, but... uh have uh, easier integration methods, um, you know, more uh, more walk you through, uh, you know, take your hand and walk you through type of stuff. See, I don't necessarily need anybody to walk me through things. I just need, like, um, what I'm running right now is just a, a basic WordPress site. And um, the biggest, uh, I mean, with a podcast, the biggest thing that you need is just something to serve up the rss and besides that i mean i'm fairly certain that nobody actually goes to a website 
for anything. They just go to our website to sign up for the RSS feed to get this podcast, and then that's pretty much about it. I mean, there's no reason to go, no other real reason to go to our website for anything. I mean, we don't really, I don't really post anything else to the website besides, I mean, all of the um, show notes and stuff like that will be served up through the RSS feed plus the podcast itself. So, I mean, just get a WordPress site with the Blueberry Press is what we've been doing. Uh, The audio files themselves are actually hosted on archive.org and then... You know, um, we even use, um, uh, what the hell is the Google thing for RSS feeds there? Um, I know what, I just can't think of it. Um, anyways, that, that, that kind of helps with the, uh, RSS if there's any, uh, lag with the RSS feeds, if, you know, we post a new show and whatnot. Feed burner, that's it. So do you use Registrar as your uh, your hosting too? Then no, we use uh, Registrar.com just for the domain. Um, a friend of the shows have been do has been working with has been um, very 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 nice to uh, give us hosting um, uh, for the last like four years or so. But uh, so I've run into a problem with the WordPress, and I've been unable to get a hold of him. So we had put uh, reCAPTCHA on the site for uh, security purposes, and reCAPTCHA expired, and I figured most of the time when it expired, it was mostly just sitting there going, well, now instead of actually putting in one of the funky words in the pictures, now all you have to put in is, you know, word captcha, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's still, in my opinion, just regular that's halfway decent security in my opinion for the WordPress site. So that's, I don't really don't care, but then that went away completely. So now I can't even sign into WordPress, but I can't get a hold of the person that, uh, does our hosting. So now I'm going to have to find a way to migrate all of our hosting onto something else and something I have more control over. And so I'm thinking about using like a digital ocean and, setting up a different uh, a, a WordPress site and then uh, either resetting out the RSS or like doing everything I can to get a hold of this guy to be able to get my old the old RSS feed migrated onto the new site on um, hosting I don't know I just think I uh, I need more control over the site if you know I can't get a hold of the person who has the actual hosting you know but he was he was very 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 gracious to uh, give us hosting when we first started this uh, podcast up. So I'm really, you know, I I definitely can't complain about it at all. But I I feel like if um, I can't I can't get a hold of him, then I definitely need to get my set up uh, our own hosting. How much was the DigitalOcean plan you were looking at? I mean, with HostGator right now, they're running a deal that if you buy it in three years together. It's ninety five bucks, uh, so like two something a month, like two sixty or something like that a month. But if you go through Ebates, um, you get thirty dollars back. I mean, so essentially for three years, you'd only be paying sixty five dollars to host your website. That's not a horrible idea. With DigitalOcean, it's like five dollars a month, and with a you can probably find something with a ten dollar credit, so the first two months are free. So. I mean, if you can get the 
two something a month plus you know you know thirty dollars back. That's not bad. No, not at all. Yeah, it's like two sixty four a month right now for thirty six months. Uh, and yeah, then my well, Ebates thing says yeah, thirty dollars cash back. I mean, yeah, that's only once a year, but whatever. That's not bad. Um, hold on one second. I gotta be right back. All right, yeah, all right, I'm I think I'm going to jump. All right, bud. Hey, you got to check out YouTube. There's uh, Cobra Kai. Uh, it's a Karate Kid Saga Continues 30 Years After. Oh, that Hulu TV show? Um, This is right on YouTube. If you just go to YouTube, uh, look on the top left corner. Um, There is, it says, uh, like, either live or Cobra Kai. Yeah, I thought I saw some previews for that. I'll have to check it out later. Just turn it on. I'll have to let you know how it is. The Karate Kid turned into a used car salesman. Something, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, just got her on. Uh, he's eating fucking fried bologna right now. Can't tell you how many times I've been that broke eating fucking fried bologna. I think oh. I fried. Is it any good fried bologna? Well, it's better than regular bologna, I think. I do love regular bologna. It's right up there on the list with ramen. I do think of bologna as like a giant hot dog, though. <laughs> like if you were to take a, just take a giant hot dog and then slice it into like like paper thin sheets, then that that's basically bologna. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I'll talk to you guys in about two weeks. Have a good night. Later. Later. How long you been doing this podcast? About, I think it's about four years now. Oh, wow. It's quite a while. Ed Joe's constantly asking me to get on here. I'm just always busy. Uh, I raise my kid myself and running the business. Plus, I'm in school right now, graduating this next month. So it's just been nuts. Yeah. I don't have that much going on, but it's just, I think, I think kids in general take up most of your life. Oh, that's for sure. Especially when the other parent has like nothing to do with them. That's horrible. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in a way it makes things easier. In another way, it's absolutely horrible. I can see that. Like if this job offer comes through, I don't have to ask her nothing. I just get up and go. Right. Which, you know, this whole this whole job thing, I don't know. It's still up in the air. I, boy, it's going to be a really hard thing to uh, to go work for somebody else, you know? Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, you got to think about that all of those stupid little things that you've had to deal with in the past, whether it's just, uh, I'm not sure if you've been doing it, but, you know, you, you, when you own your own business, you have to file your taxes, what, like every four months or whatever, and stupid things like you were talking about with like health insurance, like do you have to deal with all the health insurance yourself? Uh, you don't deal with that anymore. And there there's, I'm sure there's so many little aspects that you don't have to deal with anymore that somebody else is dealing with that. All you have to do is basically work and collect the paycheck. That's going to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. Um, there is a lot, you know, 
people think that uh, when you work for yourself, you got it made, and really you're actually work a lot more, a lot longer, and a lot harder than everybody else who punches a clock. Right, and especially if you ever get to the point where you have other people working for you, that's a whole other headache added onto it. Yeah, and I've you know I've hired a couple of guys, uh, you know, as just pretty much like day help, and uh, yeah, it's not something I enjoy. I'm I'm pretty picky on how things are done, so um, you know, and for me to trust many people. Uh, to get it done the way I want it done, you know, is that's uh, pretty hard to do. Yeah. For one, people yeah. don't work like they do, you know, like they used to, you know, like um, there's a lot of lazy people that are cutting corners and, you know, letting standards go in the garbage. Yeah, and I'm finding a lot of uh, very self-entitled people, like like they deserve something as opposed to earning it. Yeah, I think that's the way society's moving towards now. Everybody thinks that they're owed something, and it's like, wow, you know, like, you know, it, and part of it, you can blame the schools. I mean, they they kind of teach you, you know, that uh, you want it, you can have it, you want it, you can have it, you know. No, you want it, you know, you can earn it. You can't have it, but you can earn it. Yeah, everything should be earned. Agreed. You know, I, uh, I barely buy my, you know, I buy, buy my kids stuff, you know, and, but, uh, he, he's not, uh, he's not spoiled. I mean, if he's, uh, if he's not acting right, he sure as shit ain't gonna get, you know, uh, anything. I mean, I'm not gonna go buy him some new toy, uh, if he doesn't deserve it. But so many of these parents, every time they walk into a store, they're buying their kids something. Right. See, I've I've found over time though that my problem is I feel like so I work um I don't actually work in the tech field. I work in retail produce. Tech has always been more of a huge hobby thing for me. It's been a hobby thing for me that I've freaking loved doing that and I'm hoping to at some point, like four years down the line when I don't require like a certain day off a week and stuff like that with my son. My son will be in um preschool when my my son will finally be in kindergarten, I hope to actually be able to get a job where uh it isn't the crappy one that I've been doing for a long time, which is retail food. But uh I the biggest problem with me, I think, is I feel like those people who are claiming to be my boss, they I feel like they need to earn that. They need to actually know something, do something, act you know accordingly, as opposed to you have the title, you feel entitled to that title because you have that title, you're entitled to it. And I think that's been my problem over the last couple of years. Is I don't give the people who feel they're entitled to their respect, their respect that they feel like they're entitled to. Agreed. Yeah. I put these people in, uh, in charge, you know, like you said, they give them this title and it's like, Oh, all of a sudden I'm somebody special. And it's like, bro, you should even have that title. If you don't know a damn thing about, you know, the operations here. Right. You know, if you look, I will give you the respect if you know what the hell you're talking about, or at the very least, you're willing to 
come down here, do what I do, and you can actually say, hey, yes, I can do this better than you, or I can, we can do this, but I can do this better because of this reason, as opposed to, hey, I have earned that I've somehow gotten this title, and so you should show me respect. That's just, I, I can't, I have a hard time with that. Yeah, same here, and I guess that's that's one reason why I, uh, now that, you know, one of the reasons why I was like, man, do I really want to go work for somebody? Because now I got to go in with all that corporate bullshit, too, you know, and right now I don't deal with that. I do what I want, when I want, I work when I want, um, you know, for the most part. I mean, uh, I, I'm free to do whatever the hell I want, but uh, I don't know, I mean... At the same time, there's uh, a lot of benefits to working for somebody. It's just, boy, I hope when I, if I do decide to do this, I'm not stuck into a situation where it's just like that, you know, where I'm working for some, you know, entitled asshole. Right. And that's, and that's the one big tough thing is you never know when you might actually wind up having to work for some entitled asshole. You know, it's... It's, you know, there's so many things like there's freaking nepotism in every job where, you know, some dude's son all of a sudden becomes the boss of things and, you know, they don't have any idea about anything besides the fact that they've been riding their father's coattails for so many freaking years and, you know, they feel they're entitled to their position and stuff and, there are so many freaking things where people who don't deserve a higher position get thrown into a higher position for whatever freaking reason. I mean, it, it, it feels like a lot of times in corporate things that, you know, it, it used to be that the smartest person or the most, the person with the best knowledge rises to the top. Nah, in corporate positions, it seems like the biggest asshole rises to the top for some reason. And that's that's a big tough thing. So you have to sit there and weigh out, you know, am I going to deal with all of the things of running my own business with healthcare and dealing with other people and dealing with, like, I look at it as a big deal, but other people who might actually run their own business might not think it's a big deal or who are uh, self-employed, the doing your taxes every um every quarter and stuff like that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, as a person who do doesn't have to do that, that, that seems like a big deal to me, you know, all of those things, you know, and all of the, the, the stuff, if you get employee, if you have employees working for you and stuff like that, and all of that, that BS involved with it is all of that worth it versus dealing with somebody uh, dealing with a company who takes care of all that stuff, but running the risk of having some, you know, jackass in charge. Right. Yeah, I totally, totally agree there. Um, you know, and I, I think this, this company will be all right. I actually can't believe they even want to, um, you know, offer me anything. I'm a pretty, uh, I guess, you know, a rough around the edges guy, I guess at times if, uh, Something ain't right. I'm not afraid to to point it out real quick. And, you know, uh, these guys actually had taken a little while to pay me, too. They were supposed to pay me in two weeks. It ended up being 30 days, which, you know, whatever. Uh, if you're going to pay me in 30 days, you need to tell me that's in 30 days, not in two weeks. 
Um, and then they uh, they also, you know, pulled some stuff with uh, this and the amount of insurance I had to have. You know, they wanted me to have like $1 million in auto insurance. Like who the hell has a $1 million auto in policy, you know? But, uh, you know, uh, so we kind of had some uh, some rough words. And, you know, I literally threatened to go get a lawyer if they due to the fact that I didn't have a uh, million dollars worth of car insurance. Um, they uh, they ended up approving it anyways, and within a week they're offering me a position. I mean, of course, they've been offering me and bagging me for a while, but, uh, um, you know, they, they finally they got me paid, and they're like, hey, how about moving? I think the smartest thing to do, and, you know, obviously I'm not you, but I think the smartest thing to do is to take like a week or two go down to the area figure out like where you would live how much it would cost to live uh try to find what you would you get for a place and then um maybe figure out what they want contract wise like you're talking about base pay and stuff like that but also figure out like if within a year, like if you're signing a year contract with these people, like with, if within a year, like uh, you guys don't see eye to eye or something goes awry, how many, like if, try to figure out what the, at your skill level, what other types of jobs you can get in that area. But also try to find, figure out an area that you actually want to live in. So figure out a way of a place you want to live, figure out, uh, what you want to be making, uh, figure out how long, like if the situation at this place doesn't work out, how long, uh, for you to be able to get out. And could you do basically what you're doing here? Like if you wanted to start up your own business in that area, could you do it? And could you be making the same amount of money and, but just in a in a different area? You know, so you're not working, you're not um, paying the expense of moving to a different area and then trying to uh, restart over again with all your old clients and stuff. Could you find new clients in that area? And do you have the ability to do that job and then maybe hold like one or two side gigs with things and maybe try to set up some other side gigs of things? Like if you do, if you already have knowledge of the system of the, um, the different types of postal systems with the uh, the boxes and stuff like that. And I'm sure there are similar type things in that area, which you want to move into. If you were, you know, those systems or have a, some sort of relationship with those companies, you know, those systems in those areas and stuff where you can do something, maybe, maybe part time with them or whatever. So you still have a, a relationship with that company that if things go sour with this company, you can still go back to some sort of a, a, a contract with them and then have that as just your general base. You know, you have some sort of an income coming in and then you can then from there create, uh, you know, start getting other income. If you do not, you know, see eye to eye with this company that you want to set up, uh, that wants you to work for them. Yeah, agreed. And you know, I can I could actually move my my company probably do just as good if not better um because a lot of the companies I contract with they are you know nationwide con- uh companies so um there's work all over the country um and you know of course Cali's going to be uh, more metropolitan than 
you know, I bumfuck Iowa. So uh, a lot more work out there. Um, and with this job, you know, I, I, I question like why they want me so bad for one. It's like, man, you know, like for what I don't have any certifications. I uh, actually just started this company just short of a year ago. It was in August last year. My A plus. Nope. Sure. Don't have that either. Um, but, uh, I do know my way around, uh, you know, a network a little bit. I know, uh, you know, terminations and, uh, um, you know, a little bit of diagnostics and, um, but, uh, the fact that they do mainly, um, video conferencing, uh, you know, they, they feel that with my, um, IT skills that combining that with the AV, um, that it would be very beneficial to them, I guess. And it could be that just that you've proven to them that you're uh, some level of competency that, you know, you're not going to dick them around or whatever. So you, you've, you've shown that you know what the hell you're talking about. You care about what the hell you're talking about. And that's more of what they're looking for is somebody who knows what they're talking about and cares what they're talking about or if they don't know the answer you know they're willing to go figure out what the answer is and go learn more stuff and that's what they're looking for in their uh their company for sure and oh yeah i've uh they know that i'm uh i'm no joke uh, hell i i got into a uh pretty much yelling match with the media com guy there uh at this job we were on, I, I had the uh, engineers on on the phone with me, and I had the uh, the client that I was there working on their stuff. They were in the other room, and um, I was the media com guy. He ended up launching like uh, shit, like five, six things off of this shelf, all, all the network equipment that I just hooked up, and he just kept unplugging everything that I had just wired in. So, um, and on top of that. He wanted to tell me that it was going to take uh, 24 to 48 hours for him to uh, um, add our MAC address in to uh, to the system to uh, to allow us access and everything and blah blah. blah. He's like, "Oh, it's going to take us, uh, uh, you know, 24 hours." I'm like, "Dude, it just took you guys five freaking minutes yesterday." Like, I, I just was on the phone with you guys the last time I was here. It took you five minutes to assign this thing. Five minutes. Now you're going to tell me, you know, and then he pulls all these cords. And, yeah, I ended up, long, like, just going off on the guy, like, yelling at him. Like, you know, it's real funny. You guys constantly, it's, you know, oh, we got this great gigabit speeds and network, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but who can use it? Because it never does it ever work. I was like, and always you guys come here and you push it all on somebody else's stuff. Oh, it's all, you know, and long story short, yeah, huge yelling match. And uh, that actually is one of the things that, you know, gained their respect was that, you know, I'm there defending um, not only the company that uh, is looking to hire me, but the client that, uh, you know, has this uh, service. And uh, both the client and this company are just like, oh, wow, really? You know, this guy's going to literally fight for us. Yeah, and that's probably the thing. They, they, they see that you, you're willing to fight for the right thing and not fight for the BS. So 
That's probably why they want you. Yeah, I'm a no BS kind of guy. I absolutely hate, you know, the the guys that just, uh, you don't want to fill you full of crap. I mean, it's constant. I see, and I don't know what your guys' uh, internet providers are out there, but, you know, Joe and I ran in here with, and I keep going back to media companies, that's, it's absolutely the worst service I've had clear across the country. I've lived all over the place except for the East Coast. And I'll tell you that these guys are the worst. I mean, you literally, you cannot have a static IP with a wireless modem. You also can't uh, SSH if you have a wireless modem. And what other internet providers are going to do that to you? None. That's freaking crazy. Yeah, I, we sat there forever. Like, why? What is going on? You know, like with this SSH thing. Like, we got it all the way down. We we tested everything, and Joe and I are just like, "What in the hell?" I mean, it's working locally, but he can't access it from Texas. And I'm like, "Dude, like, I've port forwarded. I've done everything. Everything is set." But MediaCom installs this um, their own. Uh, kind of UI on this on the router or on the modem, I should say. Um, and this UI is called uh, Home Wi-Fi, and it's kind of their way of controlling the the limitation or the the what you can do with the port forward. You really can't truly port forward. Um, you don't get full access to everything. And uh, one of the things. Static IP and SSH. Can't get them with Wi-Fi. That's why I've never used their modems, and I've never, like I have Comcast, I've never used their com, uh, modems, and I've never used any of their routers or anything. Yeah, it's it's kind of, to be honest with you. I uh, What I did is I just had them um, pretty much set my modem back to just uh, pretty much bridge mode, and... Uh, within 30 seconds of them doing that, everything's back up and running. SSH is working, and uh, Mediacom is still denying that they block SSH. That's freaking horrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what's even worse is when you ask the uh, – the, you can't even call them technicians. They're not. When you ask the, uh, the <laughs> fake support on the, um, on the phone, you know what – do you know what SSH is? Uh, 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 okay. Do you know what Telnet is? Are you old enough to know what Telnet is? Uh, 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 yeah, you know, maybe you better put me on with somebody else. I mean, like, how could you sit there and call yourself a tech, you know, uh, uh, and not know what the hell SSH is, not know what Telnet is? I mean, do you know what DHCP is, or do you just know what the, you know, uh, the letters are because you see them on your fucking screen. <laughs> you know? They know how to read from the script, and that's about it. That is all support is. I've actually worked for a couple of phone companies, tech support, and it is literally a uh, a program with scripted questions, and, you know, it's a yes-no you know, selection, and then now guide you on to the next question. I mean, it's if it wasn't for the software, ninety percent of the people wouldn't know what the hell to do. Yep, and it's freaking horrible. Right, 
It is horrible. But that's how, I suppose, that's how these guys get away with hiring, uh, quote-unquote, technicians, you know, fake-nicians, we'll call them, uh, for like 10 bucks an hour, you know? That's true. Level level one is pretty much just, um, did you reset, did you unplug your router for a minute and then plug it back in? Are you sure that everything is plugged in properly? Uh, yeah, that that that's level one. That that's that's the tier one uh, help right there. Yeah, and they might as well be called customer service, right? And what's funny is, is then you go to ask for a tier two with MediaCom, and uh, some will tell you, "Oh yeah, hold on, we'll transfer you," and then they'll get back on, "Oh yeah, I forgot, we can't." What do you mean you can't? We uh, we could only email. Are you fucking serious? You can only email your tier twos. Like, wow, you guys get right on fixing problems, don't you? Yeah, they're used to dealing with people who have no idea what the hell they're talking about. So they just, they used to uh, make sure it's plugged in, uh, reset it by unplugging it for, you know, the minute, minute and a half, whatever. And that's pretty much about it. They don't know any actual, you know, they they can't actually diagnose any actual problems. They can resend out the the information. What is it that they call it? The oh, every time I've dealt with Comcast, they're like, oh, we'll resend out the packets or whatever. It's um, balls. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. Uh... Oh, we'll resend the signal or some stupid thing they yeah. always say. And it's yeah. like, eh, good for you. I mean, like, that's your go-to every time. Exactly, exactly. Couldn't even get them to, okay, so they kept telling me that I am IPv4. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, that's that's normal. Okay, well then why in the hell is my, you know, my, uh, 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 default gateway it was showing up as essentially like hexadecimal but it was like it was improper it was it almost looked like a mac address but in an improperly formatted mac address um and the reason it says improperly formatted because i'm pretty sure mac addresses don't have percentage symbols in them so it was like uh IPv6 is it also has you know that style of IP. So I asked and asked and asked and nope, we have no no can't figure it out. Don't know why. Nope, nope. Well, lady, if I'm getting this because at the time my internet wasn't running right, and I'm like, if that's the case, it's like this could be you know a configuration issue. You know, I mean, if I should not have a bunch of random letters and numbers as a default gateway. I just shouldn't, you know, it should be 192.168.11, you know, whatever. And she just, the lady could not get it. Well, come to find out, I apparently have IPv6 now. And running IPv4 and 6, I don't know if that's a thing now, but apparently because I'm pulling both signals. They really just need to give them, I mean... If if you're gonna call yourself any sort of tech support, you need to have like basic knowledge of shit. That that's all I'm saying is you should have basic knowledge to go into it to be able to make competent responses to things. 
Because obviously you're going to run into people who have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And they're going to get the modems from their ISPs, whether it's Comcast or whatever. And the only thing they know how to do is push the little button on the top of it that's going to send out whatever freaking signal. And they're going to go, oh, look, here we go. And now I can connect to my ISP. And then they're all done. And then they're going to have people who actually know what the hell they're talking about, and but they need to know how to talk to the people who actually have some idea of what they're talking about, not just the morons. Agreed. Yeah. It, you know, I've, I've started, uh, you know, starting my conversations out anytime that I've needed, like, you know, their quote unquote support is, uh, you know, I've, I've just started out, look, dude, I'm a field tech. I do this stuff like every day. Let's just go ahead and skip like the first three, four pages of your little fucking questionnaire there because I am not going through it. I've already turned the power off on on. I've already reset everything. I've already checked all of the connections to make sure that it actually is plugged in. I've already done that. Trust me. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. And then they still ask you. You're like, oh, my God, are you serious? It's freaking miserable. It's fr- Oh, yeah, and I think the reason, like, you'll get the ones that still ask you is because, like, they're literally so stuck, like, they they just wouldn't know what to do without going step-by-step through the screen. It's like, oh, my God, like, what are you doing? I mean, there's got to be some way you can hire some competent people here, you know? Like, I don't get it. They read their script, and that's all they know. And I'll admit, like, I, uh, when I worked on it, you know, uh, doing tech support for these guys, like, um, you know, when I first started doing that, I really didn't know all the different things either. But, you know, the thing is, is that was part of your training was to learn some of that stuff. And, um, I kind of thought, you know, it was like most call centers, if you didn't learn it, you know, you were just, uh, you were released. You didn't make it through. Uh, sorry, go get another job. You know, but uh, it seems like certain companies are at the point nowadays where, I don't know, maybe they're struggling to find people. So it's just like, ah, let any retard sit in the seat, I guess. I think the major problem is there's so many people who don't want to actually learn what the hell is going on in the first place. They don't want to actually bother to learn. So the things like um, make sure it's plugged in right and make sure that, you know, it's reset for, you know, unplug it for, you know, the minute, minute and a half or whatever the hell it is actually works for them because they don't, nobody wants to actually take the time and effort to learn this crap. It, it bugs the crap out of me that no one wants to actually learn what the hell is going on. And this goes to a whole other level that I have a complaint about. I mean, I've heard of people who, like kids, who will learn things about freaking programming, but they don't understand the fundamentals of the operating system. Kids who will learn programming, but they won't learn things like, you know, multi-boot operating system, how an operating system works in the first place. They don't have the fundamentals evolved to actually learn what the hell is actually going on. So if the people, if, if the base, you know, 
if the base uh, uh, script actually works for 90% of the people because they actually, 90% of the people who who are involved, who are they, they deal with, don't have the technical knowledge to know that any of this stuff is going on, then, you know, they're not going to go ahead and hire people that are, but they need to have something that, you know, hey, look, I am a person who is beyond this point. I understand this. I need to be sent to tier two because we need to have a con. You and I need to have a conversation, or me and the person uh, doing the technical the, the the support need to have a conversation that does not involve make sure the plugs are plugged right and make sure that you know I have I have unplugged it for uh, the minute or whatever and uh, reset everything properly. I need people. I want somebody to talk to me who knows me as me, you know, as an, as an IT professional, as opposed to the people who, you know, there needs to be some sort of a barrier, you know, where I can say, you know, hey, I know what I'm doing. Let's move on to the next level here. And but you have to go through all of that stupid BS first. I don't know. You know, and I always thought that. You know, for a long time, I'm like, God, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a business level uh, um, internet account. Cause, you know, maybe I won't have to go through this shit. Yeah, right. They treat the business customers the same exact way. And it's like, yo, you realize that most of these business customers aren't the freaking, you know, the owner of the business or the manager of the business that is calling you. Most of the time, these major businesses, they have a freaking IT department and their IT department, you know, might have to reach out to you and we might know what we're talking about. So don't you think we should be able to have a a conversation with somebody on the same intellectual level as we are? Right. Nope. Right. Unplug it. Plug it back in. Oh, you want me to do a 30-30-30? I already did a 30-30-30. What the fuck's a 30-30-30? Yeah, you're an idiot. You know, like, that's your minute and a half right there. You just reset it, dude. Like, you know, like, we've done all of this, and and you guys just don't get it. Like, Tier 2 should definitely be accessible, especially to the uh, the business customers. I mean, it's like, wow, you won't even let us business guys talk to a Tier 2. Are you serious? Like, I'm glad I didn't sign a three-year contract to have business net put in here. Like, I I really am, you know, like, because I thought that would be the one thing I got a little bit better support. Ooh, wow, you're here in four hours if I need you. Wow. In four hours, I can probably call some other people and figure this shit out myself. Yeah, it seems to be like uh, uh, Google, Google, Google. That's about the only way you're going to do it. You're just bust out your Google foo and you're going to figure it out faster than the freaking morons that you actually called are going to actually figure it out. Oh, for sure. Google's friend. I swear to God, I spend so much time on there. I mean, there's a, a lot of things that I've, a lot of situations that I've ran into and I'm like, uh, well, this is a first, you know, so. I uh, I go to Google right away. YouTube. I freaking love YouTube. I I swear to God, I I bought an Android um, uh, stereo for my car, and uh, it's got a big seven inch Android touchscreen, and I bought that just so I can stream uh, YouTube in my car while driving down the road. And uh, 
so I got like the YouTube Red or whatever it's called, and I can start a a show and then actually go back to my navigation. So I just pretty much listen to it versus uh, you know watching it while driving down the road. But yeah, I totally uh, learned so much from YouTube that it's uh it's that important for me to have access to it like everywhere. Yeah, real quick, Termux YouTube DL been my friend for like the last month and a half or so but um um so my wife my wife has has recently become like before i met her she was um you know she was the basic like i taught her all the stuff about like you know unplug it and unplug it uh, unplug it and let it reset and stuff like that for a minute and a half or whatever i taught her all the basic stuff and then at her work, she's become kind of like the um, the PC freaking guru. She's she's known how to do things like, you know, when an update to something. So she works in a um, a uh, pediatric office. So anytime and um, the application that they use, I think, was based on Silverlight originally. So anytime like some of some things update, uh, it update and like it would broke, it would break what she was working on. So she'd have to roll back the version of, um, Internet Explorer or whatever, just so everything would still work right. But she's learned a lot of that basic stuff. But, uh, she's recently run into a problem where there was, uh, through Active Directory, one of the, uh, prescription, uh, printers was, um, able to be seen but not viewed through things and whatnot and i tried to explain her the whole idea of google foo <laughs> and she actually thought that like google foo was like a website or something i'm like no 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 no. here's the thing all it people at some point gain their own personal skill and that skill is called google foo google foo is your ability to go Use Google or whatever your search engine, uh, you know, your search engine is, whether it's DuckDuckGo or whatever, use your Google Foo to figure out where the problem is. Because whatever problem you had, I'm going to guess that 500 people before you probably had that exact same problem. So if you use your Google Foo, go look, printer, active directory, maybe even type a printer or whatever, and just put in your, your, uh, your problems Find a, do your search out there. There's probably going to be a freaking forum or uh, uh, whatever. Well, probably forum. Most of these things are freaking forum questions where somebody put this in there, and there's like six different questions, and you have to go through those. Uh, like the people who found different type of answers to things. Your ability to go through those and find out what the right answer is. That's your Google foo. I explained to my wife what Google Foo is. I'm like, this is Google Foo. As soon as you for- go into any form of IT, you got to learn and you got to harness your Google Foo. Oh, that is for sure. That is for sure. And when you say it's Google Foo, it is Google Foo. I mean, there is a, a difference between, uh, um, you know, just normal searching and being like, uh, once you finally learn how to and you fi- fine tune your Google Foo, you will get how to search Google and search it properly to really narrow down your results and get the answer you're looking for. 
That's right. You had to narrow down your searches to exactly what you're looking for. And then you got to search through those forums or whatever, because you might find out, like you might get your, your question right to exactly like, uh, what you want it to be. But then you got to dig through those forums through like the, like, you can't go through the first couple of responses because those first couple of responses might have worked for that person at that time. But then you've got to go all the way down to the end and dig, dig, dig and make sure that like the first response might have worked for him then, but it might work for you later. And it's just you have to use your Google foo. It is, it is the IT. It is an IT ninja skill. That's what it is. That's what I try to impart in her. I'm like, look, I know you're new to this, and you have been in uh, in your uh, in your pediatric office. You have been the IT ninja there because everybody else has basically, you know, their their knowledge about stuff has been limited to I know how to uh, look the, look on Facebook and I know how to look on YouTube, and that's about it. And you have learned those skills, those skills that I've talked to, that I, that I've kind of. I like to say that I've taught, whether it's true or not. I like to say that I taught the ability that, hey, don't be defeated. The answer is out there. You just have to look, go, hey, if I just kind of dig down a little bit deeper, I know that this is out here. The answers are out there. That's the beginnings of Google Food. Google Food is you have to go out there into Google, dig through those forums, Dig through the things and answer, ask the right questions. That's the big thing is you have to ask the right questions, dig through the right forums to find that answer that's going to match exactly what you need. Try it out because you're going to try a lot of things out. You're going to try a lot of things out before you hit that right answer. Try them out. Try everything out. And then you're going to hit the right answer. That's your Google foo. That's it's a it's a skill it's a martial arts it's a skill. It, first time I told it to her, she thought it was a website. I'm like, no, 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 no. It is a skill that every IT person learns. It's your foo. Yeah, there should almost be a certification for it. Hell yeah! Well, I just hit my vape, and that thing went right to the wrong spot. Like one of the best things I've ever done is quit smoking cigarettes. Went to this damn vape thing. So I quit smoking about six years ago, and that was about the beginning of the whole like vaping craze. Uh, the first vaping thing I tried was an, uh, an e-cigarette that was like mostly just the freaking you know it, it it made my lips fucking numb afterwards. It tasted like a Mustang cigarette, and then made my lips numb. That's what it was. So I'm like, eh, this is no good. But I had, at that point, I had already quit for like a freaking month anyways before I even tried that. So it was it was that early in the stages of uh, vaping and e-cigarettes and stuff. So I kind of feel depressed because I'd love to find something like an e-cigarette or something that gave me the taste. I love, love, and miss the taste of cigarettes because it's a freaking fantastic i miss it so much if i could get that back i would love it but i you know i don't want i don't want any of the um you know i don't want any of the tobacco or anything else i just you know i'm i'm so past all the rest of that stuff where i don't need it but i miss the taste of all of it the like a real good cigarette 
I missed the taste of a good cigarette. But I've gone. I was. I quit way too early before the the new adaptation of things into e-cigarettes and vaping. So I missed out on all that. Yeah, I had tried the original with vapes, like you had said, and they were absolutely garbage. I tried quitting with those things, and it was like, yeah, this isn't happening. And I did it a few times, and finally, you know, it was a matter of finding the right. You know, I guess the right uh, vape, the right juice, and everything else. And can't say it's really saved me a lot of money at all. I mean, it's uh, not necessarily cheaper, but uh, I don't feel as shitty, you know, with it. Uh, so, I mean, it, it helps. I uh, Eventually, I kind of want to wean off of that, too, you know, and not uh, not really smoke anything. Yeah, I kind of... Like, I quit because I knew we were, at this point, at that point in my life, we were trying to have a kid. We weren't necessarily going to have one anytime real soon, but we were trying to have a kid. And my wife and I, um, and so we were, and so I I knew I was going to have to probably quit. But at the same time, I was just, I was feeling crappy all the time. And I'm one of those people where, like, seasonal allergies just kicked my butt constantly and like all that stuff just kicked my butt so i you know i wasn't feeling right every time i did but i always loved loved like half the reason why i started smoking in the first place is i'd be running in my brother's car and my brother was a big smoker and he would smoke these camel reds and the car would just smell fucking heavenly it was just this awesome awesome smell and i just uh that that's what sold me on is I I love the fucking smell of it. I loved like I love cigars. I love I love the smell of like cigar. Like honestly, even more than that is I love the smell of fucking pipe tobacco. I have never smoked a pipe in my life, but I love the smell of fucking pipe tobacco. Oh, it's so fucking oh, it's so fucking beautiful. But I, you know, I've never smoked a pipe before. I've seen so many people with their freaking face and freaking paralysis or whatever from smoking pipes and stuff like that. And there's so many horrible uh, side effects. But I love like like we had. Um, so I work like food retail. We had a uh, person who like one of the vendors would always go outside and smoke uh, a pipe. And I, I oh I love the smell of pipe tobacco. It's freaking fantastic. But I can. I've never done it. I never could do it. And I want to, and you know, I, I quit, but if I could get something that didn't have any of the negative effects, but still gave me that taste because it's a taste like I could like tobacco and coffee together. Oh, there's a fucking taste right there. Tobacco and coffee. First thing in the morning. That's freaking fantastic. I missed a cigarette and coffee first thing in the morning. I'm a horrible quitter when it comes to, to tobacco. I'm horrible. I miss stuff like that. <laughs> if you can make that without the, any of the side effects, I'd be a happy boy. Let's put it that way. And it's funny because actually that is my morning vape right there is a uh, caramel macchiato e-juice that's kind of got a very slight undertones of uh, tobacco. And it is heavenly. I do hear they've made a uh, an e-pipe now, but 
it is funny you say that about pipe tobacco because that is one of my favorite smells. It actually reminds me of my grandpa. Um, my One of my only memories of him was sitting on a porch. He was in his rocking chair. I was sitting on the ottoman, and uh, he'd smoke a pipe, and I just loved the smell of that pipe. Um, every time I smell a pipe, no, that's that's exactly what I think of. Pipe tobacco, to, pipe tobacco has such a great freaking smell to it that like, like I I love cigars. Cigars are fantastic. I, my my hard the hardest thing with cigars was was after so long of uh, smoking cigarettes was not inhaling uh, cigar smoke. And I mean, we had a place up here um, on the Cape where. Um, like everybody else, like right on the time where everybody, all the restaurants and every place was going um, completely tobacco free, there was this place called uh, Puff the Magic Dragon where they sold they they sold like cigars and um, cigarettes and like pipe tobacco and stuff like that, but they also had like a little bit of a lounge where they would give you like like you can get like coffee or tea. They had like chess tables set up and a television set up and where you can just buy like a nice cigar, sit down, play a game of like chess or something or play a game, just sit there in like a like nice recliner and relax and like smoke a freaking, I love cigars. I love uh, pipe. I've never smoked a pipe, but pipes, uh, pipe, uh, always pipe cigars, um, a pipe, um, Tobacco always smelled great, and then cigar tobacco always always freaking smelled. I love pipe tobacco. I mean, um, um, cigar tobacco. But I was, you know, I wound up. Uh, I started off with the like Jewel Sweets. Uh, the first things I've ever smoked were like these Jewel Sweets type cigars, which were the cigars that had the uh, wooden kind of filter-esque thing to it and then from there i went to lucky strikes which the lucky strike non-filtered uh tobacco and then i went into like cigarettes with occasional cigars and like really really freaking enjoyed the, the occasional cigar and went into like i love freaking cigar smoke i i missed it so much God damn it! Now I'm gonna really want to. I start talking about it, and I really want to like like real tobacco again. But uh, yeah, I know my wife and my, my wife and probably several other people will kill me if I ever freaking smoke anything ever again. I would really wish that something would come out with like an e-cigarette or like a vape type thing where I can actually get the experience of like a cigar or a pipe tobacco and not have all the problems. I'm pretty sure they got a E pipe thing and an E cigar even. Um I don't know what the flavors are, but I mean I see that they, you know, blow clouds on them, you know, much like you would uh a normal pipe or a cigar and that's always been the downfall of those little, you know, uh little tiny original E cigs that they had was that you would never really get a true drag off of that thing. I mean, it was like you blow the tiniest little cloud and the shittiest flavor. 
Yeah, the biggest thing is the flavor. You got to have that flavor to it. And that's 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 the thing that always drew that drew me to it was the flavor. Oh, I bet you if you would have if if uh you would have got into the vaping, this uh this stuff this caramel macchiato, I'm telling you, if you like a a good coffee, I, I guess this one, you know, the caramel macchiato, that's what is uh you know, all the fancy coffees, much like a Starbucks one. Well, then I have a double shot one and that's just more of your uh more of your stronger coffee. I mean it's got a little bit of a sweet taste and a little bit of a tobacco undertone too, so um very good uh morning vape. Oh second back in two seconds. I've been drinking during all this and uh yeah, not a good mixture of drinking a whole lot and uh, podcasting. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that's very good. So, all throughout so, the, bu- the bu- podcast, I've been drinking podcast, this, been drinking uh, this uh, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Tropical, tropical uh, uh, Torpedo, torpedo IPA. IPA. And then, and then since then, I've been since drinking, then my, I've been drinking home, my home uh, homemade, uh, mead, homemade mead. Which has got to kick like a mule. Which got to kick like a mule. <laughs> I love and miss mead. Not sure how. Not sure how well it balances well it out. balances out with like any with real like any real meat. But uh, but I uh, make it homemade out of like uh, the honey homemade and stuff. out of like uh, honey and stuff. So it's I guess it falls in the same I guess it falls in the same category as meat. And it's strong. And as it's shit. strong as shit. But I'm not sure how the taste level how it falls with meat. Yeah, I don't know. I I remember having it. Oh shit! I bet you. I, damn, that's gotta be fifteen years ago, man. Like I was like sixteen, seventeen years old. Uh, I had it twice actually. Um, one of my buddies he made it, and shit, I remember that stuff was so expensive to make. Then another one of my buddies uh, and I went up to the Renaissance Festival, and they had some up there. God, that shit's so good. Yeah, I'm not sure my ship will fall in the same category, but um, it definitely falls in the same category as uh, probably ABV levels because it'll definitely do the job. <laughs> I am about three down. Um, do you drink at all? I actually don't drink a lot, but I uh, I make my own Kahlua, my own coffee liquor. I have no problem with that. That's... Coffee liquor is freaking fantastic. Um, I've gotten more recently into IPAs. I'm more of a stout or a porter man, but um, so I've gotten into like the Sierra Nevada uh, torpedo IPAs, and then I a while back got into making my own stuff, like through uh, Mister Beer and things like that. And I decided I wanted to make my own mead. And so I bought a 
freaking buttload of uh, honey. I put it in a pot and boiled that shit up. And uh, I got some uh, from one of the local breweries. So one of the local breweries used to deal more in home brewery stuff. And then more recently, they've gotten more into being more of... They're more of like... I don't know. I don't know how to, uh, to describe it. They want to do like brewery tours. They do like farmers markets and like the local uh, local. Um, uh, my wife went there when they did a local creamery, so like ice cream and beer and stuff like that type of things. But it used to be more just like uh, local brewery and like home brewers and stuff like that. So they'd have like a lot of the home brewer supply stuff. And I got some, I got a like champagne yeast from there. And so I put, uh, I did a, bought a buttload of honey, did some champagne yeast and made my own homemade mead. And I find that it's strong as shit. And if you mix it with some OJ, it's strong as shit and palatable. So, <laughs> But if uh, you're already three beers in, it's strong as shit and already palatables because you're already half in the bag anyways. So, yep, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I like uh, a good stout beer too. I'm not uh, not huge on IPAs, but uh, I I do like a few of them. My my go to drink is definitely a White Russian, though. Um, my deal with the whole Kahlua thing is is that or coffee liquor, whatever you want to call it. Like, you go to the store, that's all it is. It's just coffee liquor. There's nothing more, nothing less. It's just booze and coffee. Um, Me, I kind of like to throw a little twist on it, you know, do like a white chocolate raspberry or a caramel truffle or, you know, just uh, go a little bit fancy with it. And I'm with you. I mean, I would, I for the longest time, I I loved straight up freaking. Um, I mean, I I did screwdrivers for a while. I did white Russian, black Russian, didn't matter. Kahlua is freaking great. <laughs> Anything coffee related is freaking fantastic. I can never ever argue with anything coffee related at all ever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so. When it comes to things like porters and porters and stouts, like if you can get like a good like coffee porter or coffee stout, those are always fantastic. But I don't know what the hell it is that like recently I've gotten into IPAs to the point where. But the only thing I really like is like citrusy IPAs. So this is Sierra Nevada's Tropical Torpedo IPA, and. I think like other like more citrusy IPAs are going to be a little bit better. Like I'm going to enjoy a little bit better than some of the other ones that are what I like to call my stout, uh, my um, my hops can beat up your hops type IPAs, which are just kind of funky. Yeah, like I I hate the super hoppy beers. I mean, it's just oh bitter. Exactly. Like I. I first started off with like Guinness and stuff, and then I got into like more of the um, 
the fancy freaking uh, stout, some porters and whatnot, and I found that there's a lot of them that are good, and there's a lot of them that are bad. They're, like, a lot of this, um, oh, I want to call it homebrew, but it's not homebrew. Uh, I forget what the hell the name of it is, but it's it's so freaking hit or miss with things where it's either going to be just awesome or it's going to be freaking horrible, but it's kind of fun to kind of just go through the motions. Talking like the micro brews. Exactly. That's, that's probably what I'm going for is it's, it's, it's all the micro brews. It's, it's, you know, so many, you know, you have so many local things, um, like around here, we have so many, uh, local breweries, um, like one of the main main people who do this podcast is fifty one fifty up in uh Wichita, Kansas. He's he talks about there's so many uh breweries around there that are uh local and whatnot. So that every every locale seems to have their like local microbrew breweries that are huge in their area. And they all seem to have their own versions of things like IPAs, porters, regular freaking ales and whatnot. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of figure out where they are, which, which ones you want to choose, you know, which, which, which ones are nice, which ones are not, which ones, you know, oh, it's, it's, I, I really enjoy the whole microbrewery thing that's going on versus like beforehand where people had just like Budweiser, Coors, you know, Corona. Uh, if you're cheap, you go to the natural ice and stuff like that. Once you hit a certain, I feel like it's like once you hit a certain age where you can actually choose, where you can actually have discrimination with um, what you choose for choice for beer and whatnot. There's, the the broad freaking range of things that are out there that you can choose from, whether it's local or whether it's just a craft brewery that's that's become mainstream. Like I, I think Sierra Nevada has become a, a craft brewery that's just kind of mainstream at this point. So there's so many things out there that you can try that are just freaking awesome. You know that that fall in that category of. You know, do you want to drink just to get drunk, or do you want to drink because there is actually some freaking flavor flavor out there that you need to try? Oh, I totally agree. I, uh, you know, there's, I, I literally hate the quintessential American beer, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, the the Budweiser, the Natural Ice, or freaking hams i mean that shit's just like it's water i mean it's essentially it's pure freaking water with a little bit of spice i mean it's gross uh once these micro started you know becoming really popular you know it's like it's just the amount of different flavors you can get you know you're talking about the the whole ice cream thing you know that's actually something you know we would have never thought of as kids you know, let's dump our, uh, let's, let's make a beer float, you know, like we would have never made beer floats as a kid. I mean, you know how gross that would have been having a beer float made out of Anheuser-Busch? Yuck. Nowadays though, that shit's good stuff. Yeah, you think a, a good porter ice cream with like a good coffee or a good chocolate ice cream, that's probably pretty damn good. 
This is really good. I've had it a couple of times at uh, some of the breweries in Colorado. There's like shit tons there. It's really surprising how many like local breweries are starting to pop up uh, just in this area. Because I live in uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Well, if, you ever, if you ever look at a, mass, um, a map of the uh, America or Massachusetts, it's that little arm that sticks out of, of Massachusetts. That's us. So we've had like so many little breweries start to pop up here and there. To the point where we could probably run like our own brewery tour during the summertime, um, and it's and like the local one, like Cape Cod Brewery, like one of the more bigger ones around the the bigger ones around here, has just like they've completely they've they've been so freaking smart. They've worked with uh, one of the local creameries, which is um, Four Seas Ice Cream, so Cape Cod uh, Ice Cream, and like like so many other places and like the MSPCA, the work with the MSPCA, the work with like the work with like the, um, the work with um, um, like some of the farmers markets and whatnot. And they'll, they'll do everything they can to try to get themselves out there as being like their local brewery type of deal. And it's just so freaking smart. They do like the things that they send out to all of the, um, um, like they've they've been almost chastised from the snobs in the area as they'll find a niche and they'll just kind of stick to that niche. So they'll find like their red, their you know freaking ale. They'll find their their porter and they'll just kind of stick with that. But that's the stuff that they just send to like liquor local liquor stores or whatever. But, like, if you go to the brewery or some of the stuff that they send out to, like, they'll experiment with the with stuff that they'll send out to, like, some of the uh, local restaurants. That they'll they'll send, like, their kegs out to the local restaurants and whatnot. So they'll, they'll, they'll try, like, funky porters and stuff like that. But the base porter that they have, they'll send out to their, uh, to the local liquor stores and whatnot. So... I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I love, uh, I love a good alcohol. I love, I love the idea of, um, making your own beer. I love the idea of other people making their own beer. I think it's a freaking great idea. I love drinking, um, uh, IPAs, pours, stouts, and stuff like that. I think it's freaking fantastic. So I, I'm, 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 I'm completely into all that stuff. So, you know, you, you do all that stuff locally. It's just, it's, it's, it's a freaking great idea to me. There's, there's ones that run on, um, like I said, there's the Cape Cod beer ones. There's the Cisco brewery that's Nantucket, which is the islands right off of uh, Massachusetts. There, uh, off of Cape Cod. Um, there's, uh, like Barnesville brewery just started up, which is a local brewery, uh, run right in the Barnesville area. There's so many lo- freaking local breweries. It's it's freaking fantastic around here. It, you know, and I'm sure a lot of the local areas have this. And I feel like I've just started rambling on, and I've forgotten where the hell I've gotten into in the first place. I'm sure I had a point. I don't remember what it was anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, I, I... How many local breweries are actually starting nowadays? Because, like, in Colorado, it's like... Ten grand 
to get a just the licensing to uh, to brew your own beer, let alone all the money and the brewing equipment. And I don't think it's that much around here because, like I said, there's there's so many small breweries that are just starting to pop up. There's like, uh, like I said, Cisco. I think is uh, part of one of the islands. So we around. Cape Cod. So if you look at the, uh, if you look at a, a map of Massachusetts, it's got a little arm, and then it's got uh, two major islands sticking off of it. One is Martha's Vineyard, one is Nantucket. I think it's one of the islands that uh, Scarberry is Nantucket, maybe? I don't know. But it's one. Uh, it's off of one of the main islands there. And then you have Cape Cod Brewery, which is right there in Hyannis. You have Barnesville Brewery, which just started up, which is uh, right out of Hyannis there. It's right actually right off of um, 28 Hyannis, which is one of the main roads in Hyannis. And it's there's there's just like so many things are just starting to pop up that it's just it's freaking fantastic. I love it. It's. And if you want to even tie it back to the whole like open source idea of things, it, so they people talk about free as in beer. So they they talk about free as in beer is because the whole concept of beer is the recipe is completely freaking open for beer. But what you do with it after that is your own secret sauce. So you take something like. Let's say Ubuntu is your free as a beer, and then you put your own secret sauce on top of that, like let's say Linux Mint, where you take um, Linux Mint is known for all of the like uh, MP3 codexes and all the codexes and um, uh, maybe even like the Wi-Fi, the Broadcom stuff that is not necessarily as open, and a lot of the other uh, stuff make that open in in uh, their version. So they take that open version and they make that open version of things, and that's how the whole concept of free as in beer is. And I think I might have lost it along, along the way because I lost my train of thought. Because once again, three tropical torpedo IPAs and one of my own homemade meads, and here I am. <laughs> Well, apparently it's some good, strong shit, huh? At the very least, it's a lot of really good, strong shit. Well, that's always good. It's nice to be able to, to relax a little bit. I'd actually have a beer tonight, but I have to work tomorrow morning. Yay! Me too, but the uh, first and third Friday of the month, I kind of... Like, normally I'm, I usually get off by, like... Midnight, anyways, but you know, I made an exception, exception this week. But um, I really hope you come back. I mean, normally we try to, you know, stick more to the idea of talking about Linux type topics, but we usually try to, we do a lot of uh, BSing as well. So I really do hope you do come back because I like talking to you. Oh yeah, I, uh, I probably will come back. I mean, it's just uh, it gets nuts. Um, I'm hoping, you know, like I said, I got a like a week left of school, and as long as I pass everything, but you know, with everything else that's going on, it's been awful hard to do school. But I'm sliding along. Uh, but yeah, I do enjoy it, and you know. 
being one that's just getting into Linux, I mean, I've been a Windows guy my whole life, and so it's quite the uh, quite the learning curve, I'll tell you that. So I was a Windows guy for freaking ages, and the biggest thing that swerved me away from Linux was right around XP, when um, Windows decided it was going to go freaking crazy with its um, licensing of things. So I played around, uh, you know, I used like Windows, like um, DOS 5.0, where somebody would have, you know, my father would have a copy of DOS, and we just, I would use it, he would use it, he'd give it, you know, if he worked on somebody else's computer, he would use it as well. Same thing with 3.1. 3.1 was that way. Um, 98 and 2000 was still kind of that way. And then you went into XP, and XP got way too um, intense on that stuff. XP, all of a sudden, it became that, you know, you had to have license, you know, that you were a certain license, or XP would just kind of shut down on you. It was around about that time that I also started taking classes to... Uh, so, I wanted to switch my careers to something more IT-based, and so I took the A-plus certs, which is the uh, CompTIA certification or computer repair and stuff like that. It was the A-plus certs. And I went into that, and I failed miserably, and so I decided I maybe might need some actual, like training involved as opposed to just my you know usual bs i've just kind of take these computers and do what i want with them so i took some actual training at the local community college they had a uh pc repair course and one of the parts of the courses was just you know come tea up a plus prep and so during that taking that the that class um, the teacher there taught us about like dual booting and stuff like that. Like we, part of it was uh, actually building a PC from the ground up. He bought some like uh, from Newegg or whatever, some bare board systems. So we got a case, a motherboard and a CPU. And we were, we were supposed to basically build it from the, from uh, the ground up and doing that. He's like, look, we can put Windows on this, and then we can also put these other operating systems. I found this um, magazine called Ubuntu, and it had different versions of Ubuntu and other versions of Linux on it, and one of them being like FreeSpire. And FreeSpire was this uh, KDE version that was based on Linspire and like had its own... Uh, new version to like application repository and stuff like that and like it had its own app store and whatnot and it was new and interesting and it didn't require a um like at right around that time xp started getting very 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 tight on their um licensing so I had no problem. I bought a license, an XP license. I was like a family license, so I was able to put it on like three different machines or whatever. And my wife was in college at the time. I even wound up buying at some point for her a uh, uh, Microsoft Office family license, which let me put it on several different machines. 
And but it 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 just it bugged me that the the licensing was there, you know, and it it got to a point where I was so used to the past where we'd buy a version of like DOS or Windows three point one or ninety eight. Like I didn't I didn't like Windows two thousand. Windows two thousand was I don't know, I didn't like Windows two thousand. I stayed with ninety eight until XP. Excuse me. And um it felt like you know, I spent so many years with just, you know, if you had a version of it, you could spread it around and give it to friends and whatever. It was the operating system. The operating system is the base system that the thing is, you know, you just run applications on. And if that became a struggle to be able to get that operating system, and then these guys were giving it away for free, and they gave in what they gave me, and I I gotta say, one of the biggest selling points was the versions of, at the time, it wasn't LibreOffice, it was OpenOffice, was doing all the things that, you know, um, DOCX was just starting out. So, you know, DOCX and um, uh, whatever for their uh, spreadsheet programs and whatnot. I think just whatever the spreadsheet program plus X was what they were doing to try to conform to things. But I was using FreeSpire, and FreeSpire had a version of OpenOffice that had the ability to open all of those programs as well. And that just freaking sold me on Linux because I had this free version of things where I had complete control, and it would do all the things that I needed it to do for school and whatnot. Yeah, I... uh... I think the biggest thing for me why I haven't really been into Linux much is, I mean, I've tried it a couple of times and I've always veered away was because of the lack, I guess, of uh, available software that was easily compatible with it. And I guess that really depends on what what type of software you're looking for. Because like I said, this... The, the the operating system was called FreeSpire. It came with OpenOffice installed with DOCX compatibility right out of the bat. And this is probably going back. Uh, now it's probably about nine, eight, nine years ago. If I two thousand, I was in school. So two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when I went, uh, I went back into into uh, our local community college to do all this. And it had all the availability to do all this stuff and to edit all these, you know, DOCX and um, whatever the spreadsheet file version plus X version is. <laughs> and it had the ability to edit these, to, you know, take in these programs and edit them without any problems, without paying for the operating system. And, you know, I've dealt so long in the past where DOS and wherever it was DOS, uh, you know, Windows 3.1, Windows 98 was never that strict when it came to the operating system. You know, you would spread it out as much as you want. This is the operating system. You know, if you wanted uh, if you wanted to pay for something, pay for the applications. But the operating system was a freaking operating system, you know. And... So I, I was able to do all the things in a free operating system, and then I went and I got a little creative. I'm like, look, uh, this is FreeSpire. It's based on KDE. I went into the um, 
I don't think it was in even config files. I just went and renamed a bunch of the .png files so that the little uh, it used to bounce around. Uh, if you ever use KDE, KDE has this little K gear type thing. Um, FreeSpire had like every time you click on something, it it have a, like this little squash and stretch of the KDE gear image, and I switched that to I uh, renamed everything so that the um, Tux, which is just that penguin. That the uh, Linux, uh, you know, uh, the Linux um, images is, is just this little uh, little penguin. So I changed it to from the kitty gear to the penguin, and I did that just by renaming some files. I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool. Where I have this much control over things, where I can change where the start menu is. All of a sudden, it's no longer a little K-Gear. It's a Tux Penguin. Plus, every single time that I click on an application to start it, it's this little Tux Penguin going, uh, you know, doing this little squash and stretch as opposed to whatever else. Plus, I have the ability through OpenOffice to open and configure these files that were supposed to be proprietary for Windows, and it works fine. So why am I going to bash my head against the wall and spend this money with windows when I can do all this for free and have this amount of configurability? So I just stopped using windows. I got to a point where I was dual booting for a while. And one of the only dual boots I had was for, um, I used to rip DVDs. And when I found things like handbrake, it all just went away or I didn't need to have this other dual version of um you know you know this, this dual boot of windows and linux and be able to use their office programs and rip the dvds that i wanted and whatever else i mean a lot of people say that you know i use windows still because of windows games and whatnot i was never a computer pc gamer I had such a hard time with PC gaming because PC gaming meant that my PC had to be at the level of the games. And the games would come out for different consoles and stuff that was just too freaking high. So games would come out and like the requirements for uh, GPU levels was too high than what I ever had but they were still available for like consoles. So I just bought consoles because if you buy like an Xbox 360, most of the games that came out were available for the Xbox 360. But if you try to buy them for the uh, PC, you had to have a certain level of piece of uh, GPU to be able to get that, that uh, game to run right. So I never really got into the whole gaming on PC because gaming on pc always required me to buy a gpu that was way higher and way more expensive than what i wanted to do so i was always <coughs> excuse me i was always into console gaming over uh computer uh, pc gaming so once pc got to the level between gimp and open office and everything else that i needed to do i switched straight to linux 
And then for any sort of gaming, I went to console gaming because I don't want to spend the money on PC gaming and GPUs to do PC gaming. I agree. I've never really been much into gaming a whole lot on the PC because, you know, like it just requires way too much money invested to do that. Um, and, you know... For, to be honest, who wants to game on a tiny little, you know, like laptop or whatever? But uh, I don't know. There's there's certain like programs I run, you know. Um, uh, for instance, I uh, uh, do some, you know, testing and marketing and, and building e-commerce stores profiles. And so some of the software I use for them, you know, it uh, it's a Windows software. Um so I really need to learn, like, you know, Wine or whatever and uh, and try to get some of these programs that are, you know, specifically for Windows to try uh, to, to work with Linux. And, you know, I find I'm using less and less uh, that are uh, programs that are just strictly for Windows. Um, you know, another one I use, too, is, like, uh, uh, Sony Vegas Pro. I use that uh, um, to tinker around with and do video editing. Um, and that's, a, a Windows, um, I think Mac, but I don't think they have a, a Linux version. Yeah, video editing on Linux has just been kind of hit or miss over time. Um, it's, you can do it, and there are a lot of tools out there where you can do it, and different levels of, uh, like, what your knowledge is when it comes to some of this stuff. Like, technically, you can, you know, edit video and stuff on Blender. And um, we have a friend, and a friend of the show, uh, Jason Van Gumster, or Fweeb, who is quite literally the, he wrote the book, quite literally wrote the book of Dummies to uh, Blender. But you can do, blend, you can uh, do, like, video editing with Blender. But there are other, um video editing software out there um, that aren't necessarily as good or as intuitive as other things. So I could never say that like video editing software is at the level where it should be when it comes to other things out there. If you want to do like picture editing and stuff, then I can definitely say that between GIMP and Blender, you should be able to get to where you want to go when it comes to a lot of that and even like dark room and other stuff. So if you take like a picture and you want to do whatever with it, um, like I, I, I could even like, again, the guy who wrote, like he is, he is our freaking rock when it comes to, um, open source, uh, uh, image editing because he can do, he is the guy who wrote the book called Idiots to uh, Blender. I mean, but to, to Idiots for Blender, he wrote the book to it. It's Jason Van Gumster or Fweeb. He is um, a member of our community. So he can, he, if I had any sort of image problems, he is the guy I know to go to. But outside of that realm, like 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 video editing, video editing is like uh, OpenShot. OpenShot is a really good program that crashes a lot, but will do the job. 
Is there other programs for Windows and Mac that'll probably do it better? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, programs that probably will. And there's a couple of um, open source ones that'll probably do it as well. But it's it's at a point where if you really want to do video editing, you're probably better off in Windows or Mac anyways. And as much I love, I love, I love Linux. I love it because of just the openness. And, and I'm not talking about the openness in the um, the source code. And, because there's a lot of people out there who know source code who appreciate the fact that this source code is out there and i appreciate them but i appreciate the fact that i'm not spending a hundred dollars on my freaking operating system i'm not spending a hundred dollars on photoshop when i can spend nothing on gimp when i can probably do the exact same thing for the most part of what i want to do you know it, and and there's lots of of similar applications. I'm 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 so glad I ha- I I'm, I'm not spending a hundred dollars or so on you know Microsoft Office or Office 360 to be able to do what I could do with like OpenOffice, LibreOffice, or whatever. You know, it's there's there's so many tools out there that'll come close to what it is. And video editing is probably one of the big, 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 biggest struggles when it comes to open source versus closed source versions of things. But I've used Open so- Open Office in the past, and I've been able to uh, not Open Office. Um, I forget what the hell it's called now, but I've been able to make uh, videos in the past and edit videos in the past, and it's not been great. It's not been super, but you know what? I didn't have to pay for it. And I'm not sure. I can't tell you at this point right now whether it's because I'm a cheap or whether I'm poor. But either way, I appreciate the fact that I did not pay for it. And the amount of configurability between, like, uh, if you heard me talk earlier about Enlightenment, I love Enlightenment because there's so much configurability to the way I want to run my desktop when it comes to simple things like always on top. And if you've never had always on top, you take one, like, uh, let's say you're, let me tell you where I use always on top. The podcast. I updated, I put uh, this op, uh, this podcast, I will later on use a bash script that I use to, com- to push it all together. Uh, sometimes I'll use it so that any of the talk before the actual show will get put on to the end of the show and it'll put the bumpers on, you know, the music in between and whatnot and it'll truncate silence and whatnot. And then I'll update to archive.org and then I will, um, take it and then I'll take all everything and upgrade it to WordPress. But I mean, Fuck, I've lost my point. <sighs> Crap, i lost my point. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I've rambled to the point where I don't know where I was anymore. <laughs> um, I know it was about the, you, uh, why you always, or why you like to use the always on top, which, by the way, why did Windows get rid of that? Because that was an awesome feature. 
Yes, when I archive when I uh, when I post things to archive.org, archive.org always asks for a ton of information, and I have most of that information on a just general TXT file, which I leave always on top. So when I'm posting all that stuff to uh, to archive.org, I'll leave the web browser open, and then I'll leave this text file open, and whatever text file program will open doesn't matter, doesn't matter what it is. And I'll always leave it always on top so I can, you know, copy and paste, paste, copy and paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Just directly, I'll have this thing, this this text file always on top so I can copy it, uh, all of that uh, default information into the um, archive.org information. Because archive.org asks for like a bunch of um, beta information about things to know, like, when the uh like when i when i post this podcast it'll be like uh, when this podcast when we record it um you know who recorded we'll put like lugcast.com and lugcast you know the data was recorded and um metadata stuff was like lug uh, was like lugcast and stuff like that and so but to have that that txt file opened and have it always on top is just it's it's a huge thing that is not available on like linux on like windows anymore or on like windows unless you have like the certain plugins that you pay for or whatever the ability to be able to change all of that and the ability to have things that are just like always on top is freaking fantastic which is why i don't understand why other people don't use Linux desktops because of the con- just configurability, the amount of things that you can do with a Linux desktop versus just like a regular Linux uh, Windows desktop is just freaking phenomenal. But you know, I'm I'm not going to complain. You know, the amount of people who use like games. You said you like um, Call of Duty. I love Call of Duty, but like I said before. I am a huge idea of the console gamer because I have no desire to pay the money for uh, for you know, graphics cards and whatnot. I love the Call of Duty and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I, I understand people who want to use Windows systems for gaming and whatnot. I understand that. But it comes to simple things like, you know, Office browser and whatnot. Why not use something that they can, can actually configure and use and pipe and whatnot? It's just... It baffles me. I've rambled on way too long. I uh, I agree. I do like. Uh, I I'm, I'm probably always gonna have to use Windows at some point. You know, I mean, there's just certain things that I I'm gonna end up having to use it for. But uh, I do like using the Linux. Uh, I got. I mean, I have two laptops. One with Linux. One without. Uh, eventually, they're both gonna be probably dual boots um and i'll just go right to my uh right to either oh probably like king win i get some of the um what do you want to call them product keys or whatever from them uh i can't stand paying a hundred dollars for an operating system either so um i try to go and find like Somebody that's uh, that's reselling OEM licenses, and you can usually get them cheap. In fact, I just bought Windows 10 for like I think five bucks. Windows 10 looks so miserable, so miserable. I mean, I 
So my mother-in-law just got a laptop. My father-in-law just bought my mother-in-law a laptop that was like, it was like a Core i7 with like 16 gigs of RAM and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, you really can't go wrong with this hardware because this hardware looks fucking phenomenal. You're not going to need anything. You're not going to need like any upgrades or anything for like a long time. For the amount, of, especially for what you're doing, this is like the best thing for you. Just get the freaking laptop. She, she really wanted like a desktop type thing. I'm like, look, you can make the freaking laptop like almost like a desktop, anyways. Just you, you can almost like use the laptop as your monitor and just use it like a freaking uh, desktop, anyways. It's not that big of a deal. This thing is a Core i7 with like eight or like eight gigs of RAM or something like that. I'm like, that's more than you're ever, ever gonna need for what you need have for like web browser and like Office and. But Windows 10 is so so ugly that I'm like, I really, I really want to put Linux on this, but I'm just gonna leave it alone. Because I know that probably more than likely Windows 10 is going to serve her right. It's going to do what she wants it to do. I put I actually put LibreOffice on there just because, like, look, I don't want you to ever pay for Windows Office. LibreOffice is going to be free. It's going to work with all of the DOCX versions or whatever that you have that you're going to need. It's going to work fine. I'm just going to put the free version on of LibreOffice. You know, maybe down the line, I'll make sure that you have, like, Firefox or something installed that, you know, a decent browser. But, you know, Windows 10 is so horrible looking. Looking. It's so horrible. It's not as bad as 8, that whole Metro Info, uh, Metro interface, but it's pretty close. Oh, I can't stand 8. That was the biggest mistake ever. Um, Well, yeah, that was their biggest mistake. Right along with Vista, you know, a close second. I was going to say, what's worse, Vista or, or 8? It seems to be like XP, good. Vista, crap. 7, good. You know, 8, crap. 10, I don't know where 10 falls in all this, but it's not 8 and it's not Vista. So, there you go. I don't mind 10. I mean, it's... I... I'm partial, you know, personally, I, uh, I, I do miss, um, I like seven, seven wasn't bad, but to be honest, I think one of my favorite operating systems of all time was Windows 98. Maybe it's just cause that's what I rocked for years. I mean, I almost hated going to XP. I was like, what, you know, but, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of almost missed 98 days. 98. I didn't like, uh, 2000. I thought actually XP. I thought it was same on the same level as uh, ninety eight. So I was able to accept XP. Um, but I'm with you. I didn't. I I never. I I did ninety eight. I never did two thousand. I had discs and stuff for for two thousand. I'm like, no, two thousand is freaking horrible. So I stayed with ninety eight until XP, and then I did XP. Um, a lot of there's a lot of like my wife's machine was uh, Vista. And she, there's a couple of features of Vista that she liked, and she maybe actually at one point kicked it back to Vista, and Vista 
I didn't like Vista, but I, I don't mind 7. So XP to 7, Seven's not that big of a deal. But I don't like I don't like 8, and I don't like what I've seen of 10. I think 10 is about the same way as... I don't think 10 is that far off from 8. It's like a little bit cleaner version of 8, maybe. Yeah, 8 without the tiles. Exactly, but it's not that far off from the tiles because it puts the tiles in what it's it, it start bar, and that's about the start menu. Yeah, and I, I think you can get rid of them. Oh, I think so, but it's definitely not as uh, you know easily um, editable as like uh, Linux would be. That's for sure, and it's definitely not as clean as like Seven and you know XP was. Um, but as far as everything working with it, you know, I haven't had the headaches as I have had with, like, you know, Vista. Vista was horrible. When that dropped, I was actually working for Gateway. Talk about a fucking nightmare. Yeah, Vista was just a freaking lead weight. That's what it was. It was just, it was way too much. It didn't. I feel like every other version of Windows, they just didn't know what the hell they were doing. Like like I said, 98, great. I stayed with 98 until XP. And then when XP came around, I like skipped over 2000. I skipped... So 2000 and the ME version, I skipped over them completely and went straight to XP. I did XP up until uh, Windows 7. I did. Uh, I actually did Windows Seven RC, the release candidate, and then up until the point the release the release of uh, Windows Seven, and around at that time I got into Linux, and I'm like, why am I gonna fuck around with this when I have the openness of Linux, and I can do things like I was in college, you know, it's a community college, but I was in college and I was doing. And then wanted DOCX, and you know, OpenOffice was doing DOCX and LibreOffice, and um, you know, in OpenOffice, why am I going to bother with that? Why bother paying money for OpenOffice if it's there? You know. Oh, I agree. I I use OpenOffice a lot. Well, uh, I do uh, use it a lot, but I also, I guess, now as of recently, I've been using. Um, Microsoft based simply because I got it free for being a college student, which reminds me, why the fuck don't they give away the windows anymore? They used to give that away to college kids nowadays. Nope. I have no idea. Um, give me two minutes again. Mead starting to catch up, catch up with me. Yeah. I kind of hope I kind of hate that fact that, that half the reason why I feel like I am, involved in open source is because of the fact of i really do not want to pay for my operating system or other applications but it almost feels like i i can see other applications but i don't feel like i should pay for my operating system you know yeah i agree i mean you can't use your computer without the os so why should i have to pay for the os Right, and I feel like back in the day when I was running like DOS 5, my father had a version of DOS 5, and he put it on my machine, his machine, and like if he helped out other people, other people's machines as well, and it wasn't that big of a deal. 
but with once XP hit, it was XP, you know, you had to have your licensing version. And I liked XP, but to have that licensing version, you had to pay, what, $90 or something like that. And, you know, it's it became a giant freaking pain in the ass just to have your version of the operating system, which was the base system that, the you know, you're able to do anything with. Yeah, I agree. I, I, uh, I, I do uh, miss the fact, like you said earlier, how you used to be able to just buy the buy the software, put it on, you know, multiple computers. Nowadays, you buy a Windows key unless you spend a whole shitload of money. That thing's only good for like one or two possible tops two computers. So I bought when I was in college the license for. Microsoft Office for whatever version of Office it was for three machines. And I kept it like my wife's machine, her mother's machine, and then somebody else's machine or whatever. And it was just, they were okay. Like past that, I think they were a little more flexible when it came to uh, Office. When it came to like XP, uh, they were a little, a little bit tighter on like the, I had to call up Microsoft support, and they're like, "Oh, so what you wanted to tell me was that you switched, uh, you changed your um, motherboard, and that because you changed your motherboard, it seems like a whole other computer that you're using." And you know, I'm then like, "Yes, that's exactly it." So I have three different versions on these three different machines as opposed to these three different machines. Which is actually pretty good uh, compared to what all the... uh, We were talking about before about the tier one support and whatnot. Dealing with Microsoft was uh, a great deal easier than dealing with any ISP I've ever dealt with. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, as long as you can get over the fact that you're probably going to be talking to somebody with a very strong accent that you can hardly understand. As long as you can get past that point, the people were at least very educated and knew what the hell they were talking about and, you know, quite helpful. Yeah. I think the the, um, video editing, I think, is one of those things that what seems to have a hard time that uh, Linux has a hard time creating, getting towards. So I think uh, GIMP has done a good job of replacing Photoshop. I think Audacity can do any, if you want to do between Audacity and Socks, if you want to do any sort of audio editing, you can do it in Linux without any problem whatsoever. And with like, you can do whatever you want with it. Audacity is beautiful, beautiful tool. If you if you want to do audio editing, if you haven't looked at, at Audacity yet, you're doing yourself a great disservice because Audacity is such such an awesome, awesome tool for that. Video editing, it seems like we have not figured it. The, 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 the open source community has not figured it out yet. OpenShot is pretty good. It crashes a lot, but it's pretty good. I actually have, me personally, I have one video on YouTube that I did. It's under the category of Linux Basics and QEMU. If you do those those two searches, you'll probably find it. And you'll probably find what I did. And it's not great. 
but you know what? I did it and it worked and I was able to edit it and, you know, it was okay. But you're not going to find any great tools out there for it. Uh, we're struggling. The, the, the open source community is still struggling when it comes to video editing. Audio editing on the other side, we have freaking, like I said, we master Audacity and between Audacity and Socks. Socks I can use in command line so I can write, write some scripts. <laughs> scripts and Audacity, if you want a GUI to edit audio with, it is freaking beautiful for it. Uh, but video, forget about it. Um, I don't know. I just i i, I want to go back to the uh, whole idea of after so so many years of just working with Windows and then later paying for Windows, and I just I'm like I found this thing called FreeSpire. I can edit DOCX. I can edit files that I want to edit in it, and then I can then uh change it to do whatever I want to do. It was just fantastic. And so I just went, well, why am I using Windows in the first place? I use it for the one program that was, um, you know, uh, I was ripping basically uh, video files. I was using it to copy. Uh, I forget the program it was called, but I used to copy uh, DVDs. So I copied DVDs, make a copy of DVDs. It wasn't until later on that I found the program Handbrake. Handbrake is, by the way, if you haven't had a chance, Handbrake is fantastic for ripping DVDs and stuff like that. I rip it to, I got in the habit of, um, we'd go to our local library, I'd get my daughter loves Scooby-Doo. And so we'd get Scooby-Doo movies and or videos or whatever, and I would rip them and put them on my Samba Share, which was also my Media Tomb uh, Media Share. And um, my DVD player living room would pick up Media Doom, and I was able to share that uh, folder, and she was able to watch anything that we picked up from the local library when it comes to Scooby Doo because she loves Scooby Doo. It was fantastic. It was freaking great, and I didn't have to pay anything. And I've just rambled on for a while, and I don't remember why. Oh, too much beer and mead. <laughs> That happens to me when I get tired. I start like rambling and like hardly make any sense. I think I've just hold down the button. I just started talking, and I don't know where I went from there. Oh shit! I suppose, but I better get to bed. I gotta be up at like freaking six in the morning. Six? I gotta be up at like four, four thirty. What the hell are you doing up then? It's like two hours of sleep. I don't know. I can just get. It's it's podcasting night. I I usually actually just close down around midnight, but I started rambling. <laughs> You're gonna have one hell of a long day tomorrow. Yeah, it happens. Hey, thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening to my BS. <laughs> That's all I can say. Not a problem. It was actually a good time. I'll uh I'll join in next time probably. Cool. Um, do me a favor. Try something out with the server that you're the server that you have. I don't care if it's Linux related or not. Just try something out with that massive freaking beast of a server that you have, and then come back next week and tell me what you did. All right? Yeah, that's the deal. We'll do that. All right, man. I really right, enjoyed. Gonna... I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed talking with you this past night. All right. Yeah, you too. So we record every first and third Friday night of the month. Uh, try to join us if you can, okay?
Yeah, we'll do that. Have a good night. You too. Bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.